my live note updates tell me that we are on to the content segment of said podcast where each one of us shares something from the chapter that stood out to us. So we have the introduction and chapter one of the book, Sustainable Young Adult Ministry. Subtitle, Chris? Making it work, making it last. Yes. So it's Mark DeVries and... Scott Pontier. And you should get this book. They are not a sponsor. Uh, yeah, we just, I get one of you was it Chris, were you reading this? And you're like, have you seen this book yet? You should check it out. Yeah, I think so. And I got it. So this is all your fault. And you're welcome. Got it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, and we've all read this book and we've lamented, we've gone through a grief process, um, and also some ideation. Um, how do you guys want to do this? We just want to share something that, that stood out to you from, Kind of the intro, each one of us do that, and then do the same thing with chapter one, and just see where that lands us. That's that sounds like a good plan of attack for me. Yeah, we did talk about this ahead of time, in case you were wondering. This is organized, but it's oh. also very egalitarian. So we're deciding in the moment. Yeah, who wants well, to hey, start? I'll, I'll run with this. Um, the, I mean, the intro basically sets it up as. You know, telling the story of one one of the author's experience, uh, my assumption would be this is Scott's experience, since he is the pastor of Harbor Church with that connection. He's kind of telling his story of how they ended up with kind of a church within a church. They had a church of young adults um, that looked successful, looked awesome, like all these 20-somethings who are coming to church and they're a part of this. Um, but then basically they hit, uh, they hit kind of a snag where, um, you know, people tend to drift away from the congregation, the young adults, you know, he, he made some joke about college, some college students started to date someone from another church. So a bunch of students left and went over there. Um, and then the financial implications of basically trying to have a church ministry, um, that's geared towards a group, a demographic that doesn't have a lot of money and doesn't necessarily, um, they're not in the habit of, of tithing and giving large sums of money to the church. So financially that kind of ministry was unsustainable. And then something, I can't remember now, something about the detail of the space, the church they were in, um, or even his financial sustainability as a pastor, he had to take on other responsibilities, another role to basically, you know, fund. So anyway, it's a story about, Hey, you know, it, look, this is awesome. We're reaching young adults. And then within, you know, 18 months perhaps or so, it kind of fizzled and fell apart. And so I think they're illustrating, you know, that that was not a sustainable model of young adult ministry, even though it felt successful and good for various reasons at a particular point in time. And, um, and we can all, we can each of us probably share some stories about, you know, parts, you know, some ministries we've been a part of that maybe they were going good at one time, but it wasn't sustainable or it didn't um, outlast the leadership that was running it or, you know, something like that. So I think it just serves as a really good illustration of how uh, challenging young adult ministry can be because of some of those considerations. 
what did you guys get there? Like your your own personal experience and connections with his story. I think one of the things you just said was, I think, really important that when we're, um, as we talked about, like, how do we define success that sustainable is a key piece to that. Like, if it's just something that is about numbers, uh, like you can get that really quick, like a flash in the pan, but like actually being able to sustain it over the long term in terms of uh, deepening discipleship and financial uh, sustainability for the church, for the leaders, like all of that, uh, will contribute to, if you're actually able to have it be successful, um, for years to come, which I felt like sharing that story and kind of like setting the basis for why he was writing the book, which is, I think similar to our conversations as well, which is, um, kind of sharing from each other, um, uh, mistakes and lessons learned, and then being able to, to dream together about, uh, how we can continue, uh, to grow. There was a, a professor that I had in uh, grad school that his first day class said, the way that it's been described to me that I uh, present all my material is like if you were to throw like six different colors of paint up on a, a board, and then you spend the rest of the time trying to separate the colors back out originally. And he was absolutely right. It was the most confusing class I've ever had. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't until about two weeks before the semester ended that I actually understood what in the world we were talking about because uh, it was all thrown at us before any context was given. And mm-hmm. so I think one of the helpful things with, with this, um, both the, the introduction, but then also moving like uh, including uh, the first chapter as well as it kind of sets that foundation of like giving the context for why he believes the conversation is important. Um, kind of the, the street cred for why his voice should even matter or why their voices should even matter. And then kind of like set a pathway to, uh, to have context for like, this is what I should be expecting throughout the rest of the book. Thanks, Jeremy. Um, you know, the, the, the book title caught, uh, caught my attention right away when Chris shared it with me because I had read sustainable youth ministry, you know, however many years ago, 10, 12 years ago. And that had been important for me as a youth pastor. So I kind of came into it going, okay, it's just like, this is what we do with young adult stuff. We take youth ministry and we repackage it and we just try to make it like age appropriate. And I was pleasantly surprised that that is not the case here. And that he um, very readily admitted that uh, what you think should work is probably not going to work with young adults. Um, and if you think that you have it figured out, you're going to find out pretty quickly, or at least you should, um, like, are you, are you, are you smart enough to know that you're dumb kind of thing? I think that's an Eminem lyric that I picked up probably when some kid's music was on, probably not playing in my own car, but anyway, um, (laughs) the, the picture that I'm taking from the introduction and rolling into the first chapter, um, is the one where he describes them as a tumbleweed congregation. And maybe it's just because I'm out in the West and there's like uh, boulder-sized tumbleweeds that literally roll across the interstate sometimes. Um, but the tumbleweed thing really grabbed me. And just this idea with, with young adults, we try to create these, I think we cr- try to create these containers or structures with young adults, these programs where we're, we try to get it all buckled down. And then as soon as we think that we have it figured out, they leave, they, they go someplace else. So what if, what if we embrace, um, uh, kind of a perspective of investment in young adults of sending and, and not just out of high school and, and, and into the young adult years, college age years, graduate school years, moving years, 
life relational changing years, job changing years. We just embrace all of that as reality. And like the tumbleweed, where if it's going to replicate, it has to suck all of its life up into um, from, from the edges. And so it all gets brittle and then it breaks off of its stem and then it starts rolling. And then every time it hits someplace, it, it, it drops um, copies of itself and it's replicating. And so it's, it's moving around to a bunch of different places. I love that illustration, that visual that that, that, that gives to me from the chapter. That makes sense to me. Um, with young adult ministry. I don't know if that resonates with, with anybody else, but if I can invest in people that in, instead of expecting them to stick around, but know that they're going to leave, then I'm probably setting myself and, and them up for relational and discipleship success. That's, that's my big challenge and kind of takeaway just from the introduction of the book. I think what chapter one, um, really has to offer. I mean, there's just great insights in here. I've got so many quotes I've highlighted in, in here, but the seven simple steps to failure that are then unpacked the rest of the book um, of what churches usually go through when they start realizing they need to do something about young adults. Um, folks, if you don't have this book, please get the book and read it. Read along with us, journey along with us. Um, Chris, you gave a really interesting insight after reading the book and having been a young adult pastor. Um, do you mind confessing that to us here publicly? Um, I really don't want to be perceived as a failure. So, <laughs> In this instance, it is success to be a failure. But um, I can relate to experiences of failure um, when it comes to young adult ministry. Um, so I mentioned earlier in the intro of this episode anyway, that I have been working with college students specifically. Um, but about halfway through my 10 year season of ministry at the university of Cincinnati, I decided to try to come alongside a local church and come on staff as a college young adult pastor and try to build a bridge from the local church to the campus. And, and, and to, to be fair, some of my motivation was financial because most campus ministers raise their own support and that gets tricky. So if you could talk a church into like, you know, funding you part-time, you're like, Hey, that would be good. Um, but anyway, so talk this church, this pastor into, Hey, let me join staff and come on and do college young adult ministry. And basically I was telling Kenny, I think, you know, they talk about the six common mistakes that, that churches make in here. And I made at least seven of the six. Um, so, uh, or five, you know, at least five of the six, but seven of six sounded gooder. So, um, <laughs> So yeah, these mistakes, I mean, I'm just reading this book and reading these chapters and be like, I totally did that. I totally thought that was a good idea. Whoops. Um, why didn't this book come out a little sooner? Uh, so anyway, there, you know, it's kind of funny, but it's also sad. And, and I would say I keep seeing, you know, churches that want to make these mistakes again and again and again. Um, cause maybe they don't realize their mistakes. Um, well, but here, anyway, let me just let me share this. One of the quotes that I tweeted this morning as I was rereading the chapter, getting ready for our conversation today. Nice. The thing about mistakes is they often don't look like mistakes when you're making them. <laughs> and that's what I told you. 
you were doing the stuff that you knew to do that nobody else maybe had tried and you had the latitude to do it. And you're like, we're going to give this a go. Probably sounded crazy to other people. But then as you look back, you go, you know, that, that, that didn't work. So we got to fail forward. We got to fail forward with some stuff because there's no, there's no silver bullet. There's no perfect plan. Um, we have to flesh out in our context what it looks like with young adults and not just do ministry to them, but ministry with them. Um, we got to, and this is something we've all talked about. We, we got ha- to stop having boomers and Xers and older millennials creating things for young adults to do and then tell them it's really good and try to get those young adults to come to it and then wonder why they don't show up as they're making adult decisions um, and consumeristic decisions that they've been made, that they've been raised to make by all of us who have been shepherding them along and parenting them up to this point. Yeah. And I think it comes back to one of the, one of the worst things we do in the church in terms of discipleship and metrics and how we measure success and stuff is that we kind of base it on attendance or like program size, you know, so that we think just getting a large group of people into a room is success. Um, And so, you know, we try to apply that method to young adult ministry as well. And, and that's what we did. I spent two years in this role, you know, at a local church. um, And, you know, we did something and we did the very thing that (laughs) this book talks about, like, Oh, Hey, let's, let's have a meeting after church. And anybody who's, you know, ages 18 to 29, you're welcome to stay. We're going to have free pizza, free food, you know, come and hang out with us. And then we basically did like this poll, you know, we had everybody fill out forms and answer a few questions about like, you know, what would you be interested in? What would you like for the church to provide for you? Blah, blah, blah. I mean, you know, that kind of stuff alongside of free pizza. And then, (laughs) I mean, to be honest, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to those results. I incorporated those a little bit into how we designed some of the first few events and stuff. But I mean, basically, I just had what I thought was a good idea. And I tried to develop like, um, to me, it it was like a TED Talk um, approach to young adult ministry, you know, uh, a gathering with some cool worship and, and we called it theology, entertainment and design. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so, I mean, I thought it was a great idea, but again, I'm, not, I'm a Gen Xer, uh, you know, trying to, uh, convince these millennials at the time of, of what they really were looking for or needed or whatever. So anyway, yeah, that was two years worth of, uh, pulling what few little hairs remained, you know, out of my head, um, <laughs> except your beard. And then I, I resigned and went back to full-time campus ministry after that. Um, and now five years later, after reading this book, I'm like, Hey, we should try that again. I think we can. <laughs> I think we Maybe can give it another go. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I learned my lesson. But. Chris, our, this is Sunday for the listeners. We're we're doing our recordings on Sunday, and so we're all coming out of our Sunday mornings and the different parts and 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 responsibilities with our churches and our different roles. Chris has got a small group at his house. Do you need to head out to that now, Chris? Or are you good? I've, I've probably got another twenty minutes. I'm good. Oh, sweet. Okay. They're just well, eating. They're eating and hanging out right now. I they're don't doing have to the leave. real. 
I don't have to lead the study until six. We got 28 minutes. <laughs> They're doing the real Christian things, breaking bread together, my friend, <laughs> my brother. Oh. Uh, Jeremy, anything out of Christmas, Sharon, or any, any thoughts as we continue? I, you know, uh, two thoughts. Um, one, kind of what you were sharing, like Chris, like, you know, what you were doing there in that local church context uh, several years ago. is like, doing the best you could as you were figuring it out. And I heard someone say recently, like you can't like read and study up your way um, to doing a perfect push-up. You just have to do the push-up until you like, it is through the practice that you end up figuring out how to do it well. Um, which I wouldn't know. I haven't done enough push-ups to know if that's the right way to do it. But um, maybe Kenny, I feel like I've seen you on Instagram do a lot of push-ups, Kenny. So maybe you can, you can speak to that. Um, but the Technology one other- does wonders. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think one of the other things that um, kind of connecting what we're talking about here with the the different mistakes you can make in ministry to something that I was reading about this week. I don't know if you guys heard about the the church in Minnesota. Um, It's uh, in Cottage Grove, Minnesota. It's this church that is closing this summer and relaunching in the fall specifically to young people. And they're asking, literally asking the elderly people not to come back like saying that they, that the church is dwindling to such a degree that it's going to die anyway. And they're asking them uh, to at least for two years, go to a different location so that they can relaunch as a young church. And I was like, I was reading this yesterday morning and I was just like, I cross-referenced it once uh, to make sure that it actually was a legitimate thing. Um, but then came across in multiple places and like the, the pastor that's helping lead it, like talking about that. And I was just thinking like, man, like, well, one, they need to, to get sustainable young adult youth men or young adult ministry, making it work, making it last again, not yet a sponsor of this podcast. Um, but also <laughs> that like, man, that just breaks my heart. Like I, like as, as important as it is to reach our, uh, like, I just don't know how that seems like that's going to, going to work, but also reading some of those uh, uh, reading some of the interviews uh, with some of the elderly people that are literally being kicked out of their church. Yeah. Um, and I think still being asked to tithe uh, in the meantime. Um, but like, yeah. Nice. That is. Subscribe. It's, it's like. <sighs> so, okay. I, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm astonished at that. I hadn't, I hadn't heard about that. Totally armchair quarterbacking here. But I look at that and I just, I bring that into my local church's context. And, and I'm looking at it going, why don't why don't we figure out how we get the older generation to connect with the younger generation? And okay, maybe all those people won't be super great for that, but are they grandparents? Are they parents of people that might be that age or have nieces and nephews? Can they make food? Cause young adults love food. Also. So do I, um, <laughs> isn't there a way to like, to like, to like somehow interweave those things so that the church is the church no matter the ages. And it's not just a siloed kind of specific age group setting. Cause now what's going to happen when they come back, they've gone to another church. They don't have relationships. And now if this actually works and you have a young adult church, which personally, I don't know that that's the greatest model. That's what we had in my church 15 years ago was like a young adult church within our church. And then babies killed it. Like I told you guys before, you know, um, and, and I see that happening in my area where when I ask people about young adult ministry and there's these two or three kind of thriving offshoot young adult worship gatherings, 
but they're replicating something in a different style from the main church. It's, it's not just being the church and integrating the church to, together. Um, what I'm finding is that young adults want to have peer connections within their faith community, but they're not shunning all other generations and ages. Um, they just also want to hang out with people their age as an option, and there don't seem to be many around. But what do we do? We create a separate worship service for them. Go over there. Um, and that's really crass and a broad generalization. But I can't imagine doing that. Give us your tithe money. Go to different churches and come back in two years, and maybe we'll have a church again. Doesn't that just put them in the same situation? Just a little bit further down the road? Yeah, and I feel like it's the exact opposite of what the stereotype that we normally hear of saying, oh, church is uh, prioritizing one group of people's opinions and uh, their form of discipleship and worship over somebody else. But it's the exact flip of saying we're going to prioritize these youngers. And for the older generations, you, you don't you don't matter as much or there's other churches that can serve you. But it's like uh, if, if it's about... Uh, the local church being a family and being a representation of the broader kingdom of God. Like you need, how do uh, we, how do yeah. How do we get that wrong? How do, how do we somehow, like we think about that maybe in other areas and then we get to this area and we just get dumb. I feel like this parallels a tendency in our culture to just want to create, you know, affinity groups or just protect ourselves from people who aren't like us you know, whether it's political or ethnic, cultural, whatever, um, you know, we can just want to surround ourselves with the people that are, you know, like us and make us feel comfortable. Um, and I mean, no, (laughs) no, are you you saying, uh, Chris, that echo chambers is not a healthy way to embrace culture? I mean, I really hate to go out on a limb here, but uh, it seems unhealthy. Yes. Um, yeah. And I mean, this is also saying to this current young adult crowd, Hey, and in 30 years, we're going to have to do this to you again. And you guys are going to be out. Cause that's how we roll. Um, just be ready for it. I mean, yeah, it's just an unhealthy approach. I mean, I guess I can kind of see what would motivate, you know, a pastor, a leader, a church. Um, I mean, we, you know, we definitely hear the the frustrations of, oh, hey, we want to change the worship style or we want to do this or that. But, you know, the older crowd in our church who really controls everything because they're the money bags. Um, you know, we can't make these changes or adapt or whatever. I mean, we, we can hear critiques or, I mean, I guess I can see what would motivate that. And that's kind of a ballsy move, you know, for a pastor to be like, yeah, let's, let's try this and see if it works. Um, but it just certainly doesn't feel like it, it, uh, can I use the word jive? It jives with, uh, sermon on the Mount with Jesus, with, um, body of Christ. Um, you know, the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you cause you're not a hand. Um, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, um, as we're kind of, um, probably wrapping up here, working towards the outro, um, what, what are some things just on the onset here of our podcast journey 
with the Young Adult Ministry Podcast. Yamcast, Yamcast, Yamcast. What What do you feel like are some some just uh, anchor points that we're going to keep coming back to that are really important with Young Adult Ministry that are uh, not about program or about people? What are some of those things that you found um, practicing personally? Um, maybe things that the reading reminded you of those anchor point things. I'll leave with one. If you're like, that was so confusing, Kenny, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> no, I would say, and it's, it's hard not to kind of do any spoilers here um, with what's coming down the pike as we get into the book. But I mean, for me, you already mentioned this earlier, you used the phrase, you know, kind of the difference between a ministry for young adults or a ministry with young adults. And I, to me, that's a key thing to get into your head is that we don't need to be just doing stuff for young adults, um, but figuring out how to um, empower uh, college age young adults to, to do ministry and to do what they're already passionate about, which I think is to integrate, you know, faith with life and not just have a separate faith community that makes no, that has no connection to their everyday life kind of stuff. So anyway, to me, that's a, that's something we'll come back to time and time again, is that we're not creating a program for young adults. We're trying to figure out how to come alongside young adults, help them, uh, you know, do ministry. So kind of break down that, some of that consumer type stuff. Which I think, I think starts with being present. Um, so it's just being, being present to people, being present to young adults, paying attention to who's there and not, um, I, I learned pretty early on in youth ministry, uh, when teams would walk in and go, where is everybody? And they meant their four friends, right? There's, there's, you know, all these people in the room and they didn't see their the one or two of their four friends and it be present to who is there with young adults. That's where young adult ministry begins and, and, and ends. Um, and I'm just going to stop there, Jeremy. I think uh, it was something that both of you are talking about. So being present and ministry with, instead of ministry for or to uh, a church leader uh, a couple years ago, uh, Kenny, maybe you'll remember this quote. Um, he uh, said, you know, instead of asking the question, how do we connect young people to the church? The question needs to be flipped on its head. And how do we connect the church to mission? And so if the church is doing what the church is supposed to be doing, which is being the hands and feet of Christ in the world, of through declaration and demonstration, bringing God's kingdom more fully into our world, for those of my age and younger, who want to be a part of helping heal the world of its brokenness, helping uh, turn the tide of injustices. Like that is, that is the kind of story. That's the kind of narrative that I think anybody of any age range, especially uh, those of us uh, on the, uh, the younger age range of the generations, that, that's something that we get inspired by. And so being able to say, Hey, we're not, we're not defining success as just numbers. Um, but we're saying, how can we as a church be faithful to the DNA of what the church was intended to be? And how do we do that in our local context in a way that we are inviting um, through our presence and through our withness that we invite young people 
along with all the other generations into this amazing mission of God. Wow. So, Chris, here's what I think we do. I think just, we just take the right now. <laughs> we, I, Chris, I think we just take the segment that that just that snippet that Jeremy just did. We erase everything else that you and I have said up to this point, and <laughs> that one and a half minutes is the first podcast episode. That's no, what I think. No, no. There's fair. There's yeah, there's a that's totally fair. <laughs> there, there's a there's a song from uh, the movie Selma that came out a few years ago called Glory with John Legend and in it he says we need the wisdom of the elders and the young people's energy. You you're the wisdom of the elders. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> See and that's what's wrong needed. with that church in Minnesota. See that's that's what's wrong with that that whole situation is there is you you got to take you got to take the wisdom and the experience of the older folks and then that energy put those together in a church and you have that synergy that happens, but you got to have, I, I think you've got to have the people like us and others that are the advocates in our church context that help bring those things together. Cause for whatever reason, they often don't happen on their own. There has to be a champion. Mm. Yeah. So now what do we do? Well, let's close this thing out until next time. Um, I don't, did you guys see the little liturgy that I created for us? I did see it. Yeah. Do you, do you want to try it? It's, it's all the way at the bottom, Chris. <laughs> Under our sure. notes called outro. Outro. Right. Thing. Yeah. Are you ready? <laughs> Until next time. Fail forward. Be present. Be teachable. Be flexible. And try something new. Gosh darn it. The Yamcast. 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 Chris, no Yamcast? Yamcast. <laughs> For those of you uh, following oh, along on yeah, Facebook okay. Live um, or on podcast, I'm, I'm holding up sustainable young adult ministry, mm-hmm. making it work, making it last uh, by Mark DeVries and Scott Pontier, which... Um, quick context, we, we, the three of us decided to read this book together as we're involved in different, um, ways in young adult ministry across the United States. <laughs> and out of Horrible reading decision. that, decided to have these Horrible conversations, decision. which as we mentioned earlier, um, I think we recorded, uh, the beginning of February, um, was when we started, um, recording stuff, having these calls. Um, and from the beginning yeah. of February to now here, um, as we're recording this at the beginning of April, everything's yeah, everything has been my, turned my, upside my down. But we um, want to continue to um, talk about this book. And I, Chris, I appreciate you pointing out. I know we had a conversation offline um, over the last few weeks of trying to dis- discern um, how we continue uh, these conversations and hopefully, um, as we learn together, be able to share it in ways to uh, bring others into the conversation and to to uh, to share what we're learning with others that are involved in ministry and young adult ministry as well. And so. Um, Chris saying, yeah, this book was written in a different you know, time and we had started the conversation in what seemed like a different world, but that it still really um, uh, relates. Um, and that conversation about how it relates, I think is really important. Um, and how we do young adult ministry in a sustainable way in a changing world, that, that applies. Um, and I'm 
uh, I, I'm excited to talk about some of the chapters we had talked about um, discussing on this episode um, because of the change world that we find ourselves in. So that's uh, me making that pivot um, to um, our conversation. So the first episode we did, we covered the introduction and in, in chapter one, and we just invite people to get the book and read along with us. Uh, I'm going to jump in here on chapter two because we were looking at chapters two through four, potentially. We'll see where we get. Sounds good. Jeremy, give us a five-minute warning. Okay, bro? Um, I love the title of chapter two, Mistake. Let me tell you about my mistake that I made was when Jeremy and I were live streaming last week, and I said that this book is probably not relevant for today, and which Chris privately messaged me later and said, you know, I really disagree with you on that in Chris's loving way. And I agreed with Chris disagreeing with me because um, I think he's right. And as I've gone back and I've looked over the chapters and I've looked at my just highlights from the chapters, I'm like, this is just as relevant. It, it totally plays today. And I don't know how you guys want to progress forward in the conversation of maybe you know, what stood out to you from the chapter. Um, chapter 2 kind of begins this series of chapters on six mistakes we often make in the church in trying to initiate and lead young adult ministries. So who wants to take it away? Well, I would, I would also say that I'm, I'm kind of of the opinion. I mean, if any book is worth studying, it's worth studying probably regardless of contemporary, you know, events. Um, otherwise many of these books I have here around me, you know, once they were written, I should just throw them away if they were only good for a particular context. So, and I think this is a particularly good time for people to read books um, actual books. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm. so anyway, yeah, I do feel like this book has what I call transferable concepts and it's not just specific points that were only true for, uh, you know, even, I think there's a lot of things here you could apply outside of young adult ministry, but these mistakes that, um, that they're identifying as the six common mistakes of which I, I made all and more. Um, as I was failing forward in young adult ministry, you know, if, and thank you for doing uh, that Chris. a few years back. But, um, and to me, this first mistake, I mean, this is something that even as we've talked about coronavirus stuff, like even our, this little podcast and this conversation, um, if we've all just read books about young adults and millennials and Gen Z, and that's all we bring to this conversation, um, it might not be worth just tuning in. Theory. Um, but to the extent that we each have relationships with young adults, uh, in fact, Jeremy might still be a young adult. For a few more weeks. <laughs> so I'm like two of them. So we have yeah. we have a relationship with a young <laughs> adult. Right Token millennial right here. Yeah, we or do. Here, which which are, is our only relationship. Whichever box yeah. he's in on my... <laughs> Um, yeah, but anyway, so mute your microphone, Jeremy. No, I'm just kidding. So, so this is definitely one that, and as I was saying before, like the slap in the face of the coronavirus situation, uh, it's really helped me identify where my relationship status was with certain college students that I was engaged with. The ones that have easily kind of let go, so to speak, of our weekly conversations or whatever. I just know I was not, I didn't have enough time with that young adult or I wasn't invested enough in them. So I think this idea of spending time with young adults, even after lunch today, I asked my girls, my oldest is 20 and my middle uh, daughter is 17. 
Um, so ask them a few questions like, hey, you know, how's your generation? How's your people responding to this? You know, just did a little research poll, you know, with them. Now they don't count. They don't, they're not the only ones that count in terms of my, my young adult exposure. Um, cause that's too easy. But, um, but anyway, I do think spending time with young adults, you know, especially the older I get in ministry, if, if I just think I've learned something or I've read a book, um, I think that's just a, that's a recipe for <laughs> mistakery. Um, and did you say that, that. The, that the mistake number one is, is just learning about young adults? It's like learning things about young adults. And so you think, you know, about young adults because you've learned things about, young yeah, adults. because you read David Kinnaman's latest book. Or and I, th- I think I mentioned this, um, yeah. in a previous conversation, um, heard somewhere like if all it took was listening to podcasts and reading books, we'd all be billionaires with six packs um, that is actually putting the stuff to practice. Um, and the unique challenge we have now is how do we put some of this stuff to practice or continue it in a very different paradigm than we found ourselves in three months ago? Well, I think it's giving us the opportunity with the themes of, of things that are closing and opening. We're actually able to build a, like a communication infrastructure that will that will be more robust and 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 tried and true that will support um, being in proximity, being in presence together, being in the coffee shop, being in the worship space, being like knowing how to communicate those things and how people are receiving it, responding to it to get us in person together. Um, I think I think we had the in person and realized we started needing to communicate to do the communication. Now's the time we can, we can like build up our communication so that we can be ready to be in person together. People are going to be, hopefully I think I am, others are super hungry for it. Um, something about this chapter. I, I love the beginning line and the theme that runs through about a Ted talk by millennial that said, hi, my name is so-and-so. Um, I'm a millennial and I'm a monster. And I, I think it is, Chris, this was definitely one of the things I look back through. I'm like, oh, I was so wrong. This applies to today. What they talk about in this chapter is being in uncharted territory that no one knows how to navigate. And when typographers would used to make these maps and they didn't know what was out beyond the boundary of the map, they would draw uh, a sea monster. Well, our sea monster is Corona, okay? We are way out from shore. And I told my wife this week, it feels like we're all in our own little lifeboat dinghies. And we can see the other people that are floating nearby. And there's just this big armada of these dinghies and small ships. And some are bigger. And we're out on this ocean. What'd you call me? <laughs> we have told... Yeah, you, you heard me. We've totally lost sight of the shore. And we don't know if we're going to see the shore we came from or if we're going to end up on a brand new shore and how to even do life there. And we're really, really afraid there's monsters in the water if we get in. I feel that way. I read that again this morning and I just resonated with that. But there's an excitement in that for me. Not that this is happening. I'm not a God wills it person. I think God can redeem this stuff. Not that he made it happen so that, so that we had to go through it. Mm. But that I can choose to be shaped during this time in community with my wife and my family and my kids and young adults and everybody at my church and everybody else I'm in community with youth ministry 
um, aware that there are monsters, but not being afraid of uncharted territory, but figuring out how to, how to navigate in it and learn from other people that are navigating in it as well. I think we need to also be careful as we're, I don't know, trying to chart uncharted territory that we, I guess, maintain a humility, a sense of, I feel like it's, it's dangerous to get to know one millennial or one Gen Z, one young adult, one college student, and then feel like you know them all. And I think one of the points right. of this chapter is building relationships with um, individuals and hearing stories and then um, and just keep to keep doing that. I also feel like one of the points here is is I often come back to this Peterson quote, which I guess he stole from Nietzsche, Nietzsche um, long obedience in the same direction. Um, is it minist- and again, yeah. this is ministry in general, long obedience in the same direction, not thinking that you know this book or this program or this gathering or this whatever is gonna you know solve this issue. So those are probably my my takeaways. From this. One of the one of the questions I'm asking myself is the the slow the slowdown here. Will it be my adversary or my ally? Because what I heard you just talk about was the long slow work of relationship. And the deep friendships that we have, they might have started in a in, on a whim and in an instant, but they've, you know, I can, there's people popping to mind right now for me, and they're 20, 25 year on friendships that have weathered time. We can pick up where we left off. But relationship, genuine, true relationship is slow. And I need to embrace this slowdown. Yeah. I like uh, somebody the other day was talking about how um, it might have been on NPR, some kind of program was talking about seeing this as a sabbatical, as a bit of a forced sabbatical for people who have that Mm. luxury anyway. A lot of people are scrambling to survive and they're not going to have the luxury of, oh, this is a nice, restful time for me. Um, But I feel some guilt over that, I got to tell you. Yeah. For many of us, I think there are ways to turn this into a sabbatical, reflective, kind of, you know, Richard Rohr contemplation action type of um, talk. I think there's some good ways like that to look at it. Uh, and I, I think so too. I would hope that there will be people telling stories about like, oh, well, after the COVID-19 thing of 2020, or, you know, it was, you know, people just... I'm a Corona baby. Yeah, people telling their story, their spiritual journey, like marking this as a bit of a, there was some kind of mile marker at least, yeah. you know, so along the way. One of the things um, that that reminds me of, there's a, a book that my church, the church uh, leadership at my church here in Nashville is um, reading through. It's called uh, Joining God, Remaking Church and uh, Changing the World. Um, it's just a small little like 100 page uh, booklet, but it has a quote in there from City of God um, and St. Augustine. It says, God is always trying to give good things to us, but our hands are always too full to receive them. Again, not making light of all the pain, uh, mm. the job loss, sickness, and death. But for a lot of us, we are being forced, like our hands, uh, the stuff in, that we're trying to hold has been forced out of us. Um, and so what do we do with that? Do we, do we try to go back to what was? 
um, at the end of this and prepare to just pick everything back up? Or do we pick, do we just keep less and maybe there's less things being the things that God would actually desire for. So it being deeper relationships, um, being, um, a more consistent, uh, walk with, with God. I, we're not talking about this book, but like, I, I just started reading this and it was one of those where it was written a couple of years ago. Um, and in the very beginning of it, it says we are confronted by a historic break and such breaks call for the cultivation of a fundamentally different imagination. And this has huge implications for the rhythms of life and worship for Christian communities. I was just like, I'm really glad that I'm, I'm reading this book and uh, the one that we're talking about, but just what do we need? What do we need to, what is being taken out of our hands? What do we need to be given up? Um, and at the same time, okay, so then what are we reimagining? And I'll tie that in with um, uh, one of these first chapters talking about, um, uh, I think it was mistake number two, talking about changing the worship style, which is interesting. If we'd recorded this a couple months ago, we had been talking about uh, in-person worship services, um, which is a mute point um, at this point um, in yeah. our uh, life as churches. Um, but how are we reimagining um, church when we're doing a lot of the worship gathering online? Um, and the thing that I'm really excited about is to see um, how do we do that and then how does it change what we do, our habits? Do we just pick everything back up after all this is over? Or do we have different habits um, moving forward? I know for our church today, for the for the sermon, I tried something different where it literally paused three times in the sermon and said, hey, here's a question. Uh, you can mention it and you can talk about it in the Facebook chat or talk about it with the people that you're, your, your family, uh, wherever you are right now, if you're around people, um, talk about them with that. Just realizing that like, live streaming what we've always done a bunch of worship a bunch of things that like if you're not in the room like maybe this is just me but like if i'm ever previous to this like if you're listening like i don't i don't sing with my laptop um and so i know it's something where we still have worship songs but it's like how do we get more participatory um uh, and and pivoting in that way and i don't know if that'll what that will be in the long term but um it, it it is also something that's talked about in this book is that one of the important things when you're thinking about worship style is that you need to be who you truly are you need to be consistent with your dna um and so um tr- you know the music we're doing is the music that we've always done um less people we don't have an orchestra and stuff but um we're, we're trying to be consistent to our dna and that applies beyond what we're doing now um that understanding who your what your DNA is as a church when it comes to worship style um, when it comes to the kind of ministry that you do and being authentically that which I think is one of the important points of the book overall is like don't be who you're not uh, not that you don't critically look at everything yeah um, but uh, one of the things they point out in the book consistently is that the one the church you know the the big uh, church that's in the city that's bringing all the young people in they've done that since day one and that's consistent with their DNA um, so how do we be consistent to our DNA and still reach every generation and specific to our conversation, uh, young adults? So one of the quotes I highlighted in, in that chapter, Jeremy, is what millennials really want from the church is not a change in style, but a change in substance. I know it's always risky to speak for all millennials everywhere. Um, I'm just quoting someone that did. It wasn't me. But... I think churches, we have a real opportunity right now to not just migrate a tractional yeah. church to the internet. 
um, but to focus in on contextualized substance. And I probably told you about um, Justin that's helping us out with the podcast with producing and everything, but their, their church in Seattle, uh, they've never streamed because they believed the just proximity is important in being together. And so in this Corona environment, they aren't streaming either, but they've created a digital liturgy that they do stream and ask people gathered together to follow through and participate together as the body of Christ collectively. And of all the churches that we know and are connected to, they could put on an out of this world minimalist worship set. They could rock it all day. But knowing their people and reading the climate in the room and the power and, and importance of proximity together, they didn't they're they're focusing on the sub on substance, not on style. And I got just mad respect and and admiration for that. The the just the 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 willingness and leadership to pivot, one of my new favorite words, and hear you saying it too, so I feel cool. Um but the pivot is so important right now. And not just continually pivoting, but potentially we're going this direction. We were going, it's almost a repentance. We were going this direction and now we're going this direction with this. But it's substance, not yeah. style. Right? I know. Um, yeah, like how do it, how do we be consistent with who we are? And that's how that church do. I know we're our church, we do communion, Lord's Supper every single week. But we're not right now. I know it's been a lot. It's there's been a lot of de- debate online, and I'm sure offline as well in churches of of what do we do? do? We do communion, and how do we do it? And there's a lot of really creative ways of doing it. And we're just not. We're saying that we're when we come together, um, man. It, I we're, we'll, we'll 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 do communion then when we all get together together as the body of Christ to receive the body of Christ. Um, and Party. in the meantime, taking that time to then instead hmm. um, receive a blessing. And so we've actually, for most weeks, invited people as they're watching online um, to do what you would see like in a Catholic church when you don't receive communion um, and cross your arms in a certain way and receive a blessing. Um, and I am yearning for the day when we have like, um, not just because we have some of the best um, wow. fresh made bread um, that we use for it, but like, like it's just, it's going to be, it's going to be beautiful. And that's not the way that everyone should do it. Uh, but that's consistent with, with who we are in our DNA that like, that's an important uh, piece of who we are. So with this chapter talking about, you know, changing the worship service, um, why do you think that's such a first like inclination for a church or for a young adult pastor, a youth pastor who's supposed to do young adult ministry for somebody? Why is it that everybody wants to do that? Oh, let's create a separate worship space for young adults. There's two questions there, separate worship space and separate, separate okay. styles. Not space. I don't mean to focus on the space. I mean, let's, let's create a specific worship gathering for young adults if we're going to be young adults. The first adult thing that comes to mind for me, and I'm a verbal processor, so yeah. I'll, I'll tell you if I agree with this as I say it out loud, um, is that it's how we define church. And the definition of church has been the gathering with music and a really well-curated sermon. Um, and so if we, if we define that as being, I mean, not that that's not, I'm not saying that that's not important. Um, uh, but we 
are in a time realizing that bringing people all together with music and with, with a, a really well-researched sermon, um, like we can't, we can't do that. Um, and I don't think it's ever been enough. Um, but, um, Chris, you, I know you've shared it a few different places. It was, it gave me good verbiage that I've used even in our pastoral team conversations that we need to be focused, uh, more on, um, building community than pushing out content. Again, not saying that content's not important. Um, but today, especially there's tons. Um, and so what can we do uniquely? And I think that's, um, when we just think about it in terms of content, we're like, okay, what content do we need to share in a service that connects with the youths? And that's how like, we've moved in that. And not that any of those things are, are negative, but I know I'll, I'll speak for me. Like, I, I, I love and appreciate a lot of different styles um, of worship. But for me, the most meaningful, um, the most meaningful expressions of church have not been very often, have been more often and not in Bible studies, in small groups, um, in a uh, socially distanced walk that we took with some of our neighbors. Um, and like, we're able to talk with them on a walking path, uh, over the last couple of weeks, um, to be able to check in with them. Like it's, it's the, it's the community, it's the relationships. That's what I was going to say was there seems to be a tension between content and community. And, and we think if we get the right content that people are going to show up and want to listen to it. But, but my, my default and also my pet peeve in that is, is the, the, just this attractional model where we're pretending that the church is still somehow the center of community instead of the sent body um, to go and live it out. And so we think that if we build it, then they will come fill the dreams. And, and so, you know, like uh, one of my favorite books, 2003, Shaping of Things to Come, you know, no one cares if you change the mission statement and rearrange the furniture inside the building. No one knows. No one cares. No one knows. How are you living out being the body every, every place else? And I think that young, I, I, my experience with young adults has been, um, content is important. Community is, is most important. Um, and, and when the, the, when the content points to the equipping of and facilitating of solid community, both as, both as the gathered church and the scattered church, that might be a secret sauce. I think, and so to answer your question in short, my very first response, Chris, was um, changing worship style is a low-hanging fruit because we can control that. Hmm. And we can measure it and we can quantify it. So when, and what, what's, what's being desired is qualitative relationship and community. So at my church several years ago, when I was, I was trying to bridge the campus ministry stuff I do with local church thing. And so they basically designated me young adult pastor for a couple of years at, at Springdale. Large church, Cincinnati, 12, 1300, whatever. Potentially, probably 100 young adults are at our church on any given Sunday. 50 to 100, something like that. Um, wow. so we created a Sunday night, you know, whatever. So we did this. So this is one of the mistakes I made. I feel like we did this. We created a separate Sunday night worship gathering 
specifically for young adults. And, and again, this was me doing something because as a former youth pastor, pretty much our go-to toolbox in the church is kind of program-based, you know, let's design something that's a program that, you know, whatever, let's read a book about young adult ministry and pretend like we know what we're doing. Um, so I, I made all those mistakes. We started off strong. We had 120 young adults, first thing gathering and then 90 and then 70 and then 50 and then 30 and then you know it just kept dwindling dwindling over six months time and i think it was really because again it was me trying to be like this gen x pastor guy who knows what to do given the answers are saying you know hey let's do this instead of doing that long term let me just build relationships with young adults in the church, learn their context, learn their lives, and then figure out what what is needed here. And I think it also that kind of model. I think one of the big reasons it's it's a wrong way to go is it fails to integrate young adults into the DNA of the church and the leadership of the church. So it's just it's another siloing kind of um, thing that happens. And some churches do it well. I'm not saying. You know, it can't work. There are some churches that do kind of separate young adult ministry things well. Um, but the point I think they're trying to make in this book here is that if you're trying to build a young adult ministry, that's not necessarily one of your first steps. That's not necessarily the right way to go. So I think we need to explore that one deeper, but we need to do it next time. You've been in and out of mistake number three in chapter four. Expect the youth director to do it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's 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 pick it up there next time because Jer's got a role, and and we're on his Zoom account. But we got to get back out there, guys. We gotta we gotta go back in our world and be the church. Okay. So if you need any of these, I got plenty of them. I got Spartans. I got youth youth and mission relics. Um, I got freebies from NYC. If you need Just spears, equip yourself to be the church. Go to, go. Spears. If you need coffee, coffee. If you need coffee, I'm your man. Coffee's there. Spears here. <laughs> and if you're trying, Jeremy? if you're in any way engaged in young adult ministry, definitely uh, hang out with us on Facebook, the Nazarene College and Young Adult Ministry yeah. Network. And, and specific, specific to this, we like, have the like, Young Adult like, Ministry like, 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 like. podcast like, like, like. Instagram account that we're getting off the grounds. Yeah, the Yamcast. Yamcast, 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 Failing forward. Failing forward with the Yamcast trio. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Peace out. All right. See you, bros. Be safe out there. Christ be with you. Amen. And also with you. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Uh, Chris, your comment about reciprocal mentoring um, and that um, idea in terms of young adult ministry, I think um, that one, that phrase is really good. And also, I think that's a good, maybe a good transition into our conversation from the book that we're going through right now. Sustainable young adult ministry, making it work, to making it last. Again, not yet a sponsor of this podcast, but a really great book from uh, Mark DeVries and Scott Pontier with, uh, with the Praxis Group. Yeah. Cool. So we we last time we got into chapter four, I think, talking a little bit about why or why not. You were getting us there. 
why or why not um, let the youth pastor run with college and young adult ministry responsibilities? Um, and it'll kind of dovetail into chapter five to the uh, the next mistake that we talk about. But um, but I can't remember exactly where we got in in sort of this critique of of whether or not the youth pastor should be the one to help the young oh, you, ministry. You had just started talking about it. We, I mean, we were trying to cover three chapters last time. It was a bit much. So we're just looking at four and five right now. Yeah. And I think what we, what we were just talking about actually pushes us this direction too, because it's the, it's, it's this idea in chapter four or uh, wait, this mistake number four. Let me look at chapter. Sorry. Well, you choose, just for, for those of you who are following along online or listening to this, um, where we are in terms of discussing this book in the context of young adult ministry right now is um, the first several chapters of the book are talking about seven different mistakes that churches make when trying to start young adult ministry um, or to, to revamp it. And so we, um, as we're talking about these different mistakes, they're, um, the first part of the book is looking at mistakes, and then uh, the second half of the book looks to, to pivot and then provide um, way, a way forward to be able to be engaged in young adult ministry. So just that yeah, is context. Picture. So, okay, chapter four is mistake number three, expect the youth director to do it. And we were, we were just talking about how um, you can be younger and you can have knowledge, you can have great ideas, and you can be ready to lead, um, but you don't have that experience yet. And I think that's one of the mistakes that happens here with youth pastors. And they talk about this in chapter four of the book. Of it's like, would you go to would you go to a first grader and ask him to lead preschoolers? Would you go to a middle uh, a middle schooler and ask him to be in, in in charge of the the third and fourth graders? Well, maybe in some churches that happens. It's a little bit scary. <laughs> um, would you go to a high schooler and ask them to be the the youth pastor for for the the middle? You know, so it's like if you go to a youth pastor and they're you know in their mid twenties and now you know they're they're just a few years older than high school students or. Um, even the college students that they're leading, maybe they just graduated from college. They become the youth pastor. They've been there one year. They're 22, 23, 24 years old. And now the church comes to them and says, will you lead the 18 through 30 year olds? They don't, they're still in the midst of being young adults themselves. Can it happen and can it work? I think so. And I'm actually an advocate as a volunteer of, of helping to equip young adults to lead other young adults instead of trying to create things for them, which is the next chapter. Um, but when we go to the youth pastor that's already probably underpaid, let's just say they're underpaid and they're overworked and people don't understand what they do anyway because it's mostly relational, so it's hard to quantify. And then say, hey, we, we need to do something with young adults. Can you make something happen, please? It's a recipe for it not going great. So that's kind of the random rambling of Kenny into the introduction of this chapter. And I would say if we don't want the young adult ministry to look like youth group 2.0, I mean, this, this would be a key um, pitfall to avoid is basically because the youth pastor is, is going to approach, you know, college and young adult ministry in a very programmatic age-based sort of way. Which again, that's next chapter. We'll talk a little bit more about why that might be the wrong way to talk about it. But um, yeah, I think the the book makes the point about they have limited time, you know, to focus on this other, whole other area of ministry, um, and it could just create the second wave of youth groupness. And then I can't remember was there one more. 
Well, here's a quote. Here's a quote that I really liked. Making young adults another side plate for a youth director to spin is a rapid route to ensure high frustration and little reward, which reminded me of kind of a, um, uh, I'm just going to say crass, but not too crass. Like, I don't think I'm going to be censored for this, probably. Um, I mean, we are live. But I had this conversation with a guy that I just met in, in Detroit, and we were going to have uh, some shakes with uh, like um, like strawberry shake, chocolate shakes at this restaurant. And he's like, I really like chocolate shakes, but strawberry shakes are my side dish. I mean, chocolate shakes are my bae, but strawberries. And I was like, first time I'm hearing this language, just quite a few years ago. Like, what is he talking about? It's a cultural experience for me. And uh, and a and a and a, a slang experience for me. When we go to the the, the youth pastor who's already got their bay, the youth ministry, and we ask them to take on their side dish of young adults, um, relationships are going to crash and burn. It's not going to go great. We're trying to make a short term fix instead of a long term investment. Um, and those relationships need dedicated relationship and attention, both for the youth ministry and a young adult ministry, to have the long-term relational um, return on an investment. See, I, I pulled that. That could have gone a lot of different directions, but I got there, guys. I was not sure where the milkshake analogy was going, but that was that was a, a good a good way to segue into that conversation. All I, I now, all I know is now I want one. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, which completely unrelated, but the uh, the frosted coffees at Chick Fil A are very good. Oh, um, not a sponsor, uh, but could be. Yeah. <laughs> Free chicken sandwiches. Not for today. All it's Sunday, so not That's today. True. But yep. Maybe since they're not stores they're not that are open, open, Jeremy. Let's talk about <laughs> places we can really get a side dish of milkshake. Okay. okay let's just move on. I, I, I think the point about um, having a long-term sustainable approach, okay, use some of the words in the title there, but um, is I think an important uh, piece to the, throughout the entire book, but especially these first couple chapters in the beginning of saying that a lot of these mistakes, um, it's, it's not the intent, um, but it's that most of them are short-term fixes, like what you said, Kenny, um, and that when you don't uh, make the deep, um, investment uh, for long term. That's where these become mistakes. So yeah, a, a youth pastor will, you know, is hopefully doing great at youth ministry, um, but they're working towards a different uh, group of uh, young people, and they're already doing that. And so then trying to add something on um, to anybody's plate is is overwhelming. But also, I think one of the points that is made in this chapter that also kind of transitions into the to the next uh, chapter as well um, is saying that this approach sets the stage for young adults to be isolated from church life. Where if you just take yeah. what works with 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 youth ministry, copy paste into young adult ministry, um, that it's creating just another separate um, ecosystem within within church life. Where not that there shouldn't be age-appropriate activities um, and uh, relationships being built. But at what point do you uh, invite young people into the life of the entire church um, rather than it just seeming like uh, the sanctuary, like going into the sanctuary and the Sunday morning service is what you do when you're actually a real adult? Or in the world each week, and it's contextualized. 
and it doesn't yeah. look the same. Like you, one of the things they say in this chapter too is this, this is pioneer work. And I don't know, you know, the different things that come to mind for each of us when we hear the word pioneer, but they go out in the wilderness in places that people haven't traveled before and they're at risk and in danger and they're foraging for food and they make new relationships and figure out new ways to do um, some old things maybe. And they discover some new things along, along the way. Um, but they, they learn, they learn how to do what's needed for the place and the time that they're in. And that's always shifting. I mean, we're moving forward in time. We can't go back. So that's always shifting and changing regardless of Corona. Um, and this thing that's been thrust upon the world. Um, we, one of the ways I've been thinking about how to share this with church pastors and leaders and church boards is, is to think about young adults as, as like, um, this investment, uh, like you would with your stock portfolio. Um, and that you're going to make a long, you're going to invest a little bit right now to make a long-term investment. And, and but you're not going to reap the dividends to that of that until way down the road, uh, holistically. And so if you expect to get, this isn't day trading. This isn't, we're going to turn around the profit in a short period of time. You know, um, why are you guys laughing at me? I mean, I, you just sound like Warren Buffett. I mean, this is good. Keep going. <laughs> wow. I've never been accused of that. And I'm sorry, Warren Buffett. He could totally be a sponsor. Call right now. Long-term investments. Long-term returns. Think of it that way. Think of it as your retirement. Young adults are the retirement of the church. Like invest in them now so that when you turn 50 Levites, you can turn the reins over to them and be coaches and mentors. And you guys said reciprocal mentoring. Reciprocal mentoring was the phrase that Chris said. Yeah. For everybody else like me, that's going to struggle saying that because my tongue does something. It's unaccustomed to when I try to say reciprocal um, mutual, mutual mentoring. My mentor taught me reverse mentoring. So when when those mentors in my life have said to me, you know, you're 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 mentoring me right now, I'm like, what are you talking about? Like that, that does not compute. Um, but then I realized, oh, I've got to if I'm going to be the disciple Christ wants me to be, I need to be mentoring and discipling, and I need to be mentored and discipled. And I'm responsible for setting up those relationships in my life and being intentional about it. But I wait for it to happen on its own. It's not going to. Same thing with young adult ministries in our churches. Very few of these are going to happen on their own. You have to have the champion. You have to have the advocate. And you have to have that long-term perspective um, for that return way down the road that it's investment relationally right now. Both digitally and proximity as we slowly begin to open up our relational doors. So I'd, I'd like to go ahead and push this into the next chapter because Please. to me, in some ways, approaching college young adult ministry from a youth ministry mindset or with the youth pastor in mind as the one to lead it is kind of dovetails with this idea of just treating it as an age-based program within the church. And I I like one of the questions that comes out in this next chapter. What are the long-term effects to segregated ministry and programming? Um, And I think that's a great question for, you know, for some pastoral staff meetings, you know, and for people to consider 
what are the long-term effects of age-based segregated ministry and programming in the church and where there's certainly areas where that works and that fits, but what are the limitations to that? And at what point do you try to start integrating rather than segregating? And certainly college age ministry for me is, I feel like you should probably start doing it even in, you know, high school ministry and some, um, you know, family ministry philosophies would, you know, go along with that. But, um, but anyway, what, what were your guys' thoughts on some of this, like the limitations of looking at this as a program in the church or just starting a program? That's the mistake they identify is that if you think you're just going to throw some free pizza at young adults after church on Sunday and poll them for what they want out of a ministry and then try to create something based on their responses and you end up with a young adult ministry program that lasts for a few months um, and then kind of fizzles that is a summary of the mistake I think they are talking about in this chapter. Yeah, well, there's there's this uh, list in the chapter of these four things that, that young adults are looking for. They specifically talk about millennials. Were you going to talk about this, Jeremy? I, I literally have it written down in my notes oh, to bring ahead. this up. So this, no, 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 no you go ahead. No, you tell me well, what I, millennials... Um, <laughs> yeah, let me tell you about you millennials, Jeremy. Thank you for being here. Um, community, social justice, depth, and mentorship. So if I create a program, Xer, it's going to be great for young adults. And I haven't asked them or involved them or see, I'm, I'm doing all these things. I'm in control. It's not me journeying alongside. It's not me having community with them, practicing social justice, having depth or a, or a reciprocal reverse mentoring relationship. It's not me. It's not me practicing these things that are important and values. It's me trying to put something on so that I can be successful in my pastoral ministry and in my church and say that we've done something for young adults. And it, it, it completely misses the goal. Um, but it's where I default to like all the time in my thinking and in my practice in, in, in ministry. And so what I'm having to rewire and rework is that temptation to try to create things for, to get people to come to instead of, asking questions, seeking out relationship and saying, what, what do you want to do with this? And, and how can I help equip um, as a part of our church to, to help accomplish those things? Because they might have a different list of four than community, social justice, depth, and mentoring. So that's some of my thoughts, Jeremy. Yeah, I think um, kind of taking this conversation with another one that we've um, been having with people um, on my church's staff and with other church leaders across um, mainly the U.S. right now is this, like, what's next? What's the church going to look like once we start gathering together? Um, not for the purpose of moving ahead uh, to not being involved in the now, but saying, okay, if if church is going to look a little bit different in the coming months when we gather together, what do we need to be doing now to help move into that? Uh, so like a simple ver- uh, example of that would be um, like, I'm not going to want to shake people's hands for a while personally. Like I'm not like personally afraid, but like, um, yeah, for me, like until we have like more of a, um, in terms of uh, medicine or vaccine, like I'm going to feel nervous and guilty anytime I'm going around and shaking people's hands. So then how do we transition to having a meaningful passing of the peace without physical, yeah, with, with limited physical contact, that being an example. Um, and within that, exactly, namaste, um, which is a little hard for me to do with my my injured 
bent hand right now. Um, <laughs> um, so uh, something that I've heard in those conversations um, related specifically to this pre- <laughs> to this present uh, time with COVID-19 is um, that we need to be focusing now and in the coming months about engagement over attendance. And I think that ties in really well with mm. young adult ministry across the board, um, whether or not we're in a pandemic, that instead of focusing on just getting people to show up in attendance, um, that we need to be looking for engagement. And the four things that you listed off from the book, Kenny, of community, social justice, depth, and mentorship, I think all of those um, speak to the idea of engagement, um, that being involved in the process, being involved in the leadership of things and speaking into them, um, which is why just creating a program and hoping for people to show up very often just falls flat, um, not again, from lack of good intentions um, and not from a lack of quality. Uh, like you can you can put together a quality program um, in terms of like the components, but if it's not inviting young adults in to an engagement, then um, I think the, the, the shelf life of it uh, tends to be uh, rather short. And I know for both of you guys in your different contexts from our conversations, and I know for mine, that some of the most meaningful ministry opportunities we have are the ones that are often smaller in quantity of people, um, but deeper in terms of relationship and higher in terms of engagement. And I, that makes sense. I, you know, you can only engage so many people well um, until numbers start to to take that away. We see that, you know, across the board in churches and organizations. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. You know, I look back on the, the time, you know, at my current church, um, I basically became kind of like a part-time young adult pastor there back in 2012. 13, 14, almost two years trying to do this and did this exact thing where we met with young adults after church, Sunday pizza, you know, basically pulled them on what, you know, kind of stuff they wanted to be in a college young adult ministry. Um, but then, yeah, as the, as the Gen Xer who wanted a successful program, I basically took their responses and then, you know, read between the lines because I knew what they really needed you know, in spite of what they said. Um, Although even when we ask young adults, I think what they want out of a ministry, in some ways we're asking them the wrong question and we're asking a leading question because they already assume a program, um, you know, based on that question. So, you know, anyway, all this to say, if I had it to do over again, I would have taken the first six months of being in that role and done nothing but hang out with young adults and spend time with them, have meals with them and coffee and things like that. Get enough relational equity. We may have ended up with the same kind of gathering or program, so to speak, you know, six to 12 months later. But if I had built the relationship and, you know, showed them how much I care before they could care, you know, whatever. Um, so anyway, yeah, t- I totally feel it. the engagement piece and a lot of one-on-one and small conversations and regardless of their attendance at events, but if there was overall engagement, I think that would have been a much healthier road to success, so to speak, in ministry. Um, I think that's I, a good point of this. Go ahead, Jer. I was going to say, I think that's a good point of 
um, ask like what kind of questions we ask, are they leading? Cause if you've only grown up in a youth ministry, that's your context. So I was going to ask for the, for the two of you, um, having, um, a little bit more experience than I do, um, in terms of youth and young adult, um, youth ministry and young adult ministry, like what are better questions to be asking? Not necessarily saying that a survey or any of that, but like, um, in the, going into those, um, relationships and those one-on-one conversations, like what are the the questions that you think we should have in the back of our heads that we're seeking to find the answers of whether or not we actually voice them, what should we be looking um, for the answers to as kind of um, uh, mile markers to figuring out how we engage in young adult ministry in our churches? I think uh, my experience has been, it's not so much about questions. Like I've come up with questions and people will respond and, and answer to questions one-on-one. That's a big key, is the one-on-one, not the group. Um, but it, it's, it, it's me trying to be a better listener to the conversations that I'm having one-on-one with the young adults that are both the younger young adults and the older young adults, the ones that are in the college kind of four-year traditional phase and the ones that are out beyond that age-wise um, and are processing you know, life and career and grad school and relationships different than they were, but they're still young adults. Um, and in that listening, what we discovered and coming back to that list of, of four things there, the one that really pops out to me, um, it's not the social justice. Uh, it's uh, community is, is, is probably the one I need to go back and look at it because I just have it here. Community is one social justice. Yeah. Depth. Yeah. Mentorship. The mentorship, I think, is going to come in time. The community in depth is what I was hearing. But what they were looking for, and, and a lot of the young adults that are part of our church, both the you know, 18 to 21, 22, and then the 22 and older, the emerging adults, we call them, they're looking to connect with their peers in their worship setting. Like they've got activities to do. They don't need more activities. They've got... They've got ways that they're contributing both through the church and volunteering. They've got ways that they're volunteering and, con- and contributing to social justice things in their community. Not all of them, but for the most part, the ones that I'm talking with and listening to. And they're looking for the church to be this. Um, they want to, there's not a natural place in the church for them to connect with their peers because people had tried to run programs and the programs failed. And so they weren't running any programs because nothing that they did for young adults worked, but there wasn't a way to network the young adults within our church together so that they could have share life and community and faith together. And so this, at the end of the chapter here it says young adults send mixed signals to older generations about what they really want and need for a good reason. They need both. For them, it's not an either-or choice between a place to be connected to an intergenerational community or a place to be with peers. It's a both-and experience. So as I was listening to our older young adults and to our younger young adults, I was hearing them say they wanted a place to connect. So how do we facilitate that without turning it into a program um, is, is kind of the dance that we're living in, 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 in the tension of. And then my, my hope and my goal, and I've just been very clear with them in this, is, is this, that I want to be your cheerleader. Like, how do I help you accomplish that? And let's try some stuff together. Because they can't... And this is going to come, I think, in the next chapter, or the next two, but you can't just expect them to leave it. They're, they're not at a place to do that yet as young adults and volunteers. Um, 
And it's not going to happen on its own. You need that in-between advocate person. And so in this both and experience, I become the and. I'm the and in my church that's, that's with the young adults and with the greater church body, volunteering, doing different things. But I'm also listening to young adults and what they're talking about while at the same time trying not. My goal is to not create a program for young adults. Um, because as soon as we do, let's say we created a, an amazing young adult program and we have amazing young adult leaders. And th- then they get engaged and then they get married and then they have kids and then they move. Or they just graduate from college or grad school or their internship or their practicum and they move. So if we embrace instead this both and experience of relationship and transition, it's we need another a conjunction in here because there's more than just a one or two things happening. Um, there needs to be this advocate in the midst that's helping young adults navigate the local church setting while journeying in life together while, while listening to what do they really hope and, and long for from the church body? What are they, what are they, um, what are they looking for? Um, what's that, that engagement piece there? That was a long, I put a lot in there from a lot of different standpoints and it was hard to follow. And now I will pause. No, I think, I think, I think that was really good. I, oh, I think wow. the thing that stood out to me there was saying that for, for young adult, uh, for young adult ministry, leaders in young adult ministry are to be advocates to connect young adults into engaging in the life of the church. Like that's, that was, that was beautifully worded. Kenny. <laughs> Pretty sure you worded that way, and thank you for that. Um, yeah, and it's interesting at the end of the chapter. I mean, they go on to say, you know, it's not wrong to have something that looks or smells like a young adult ministry, you know, program. Um, but they basically say if if programming for young adults is your starting point, it's it's probably going to fall short. Uh, or not have sustainability and long-term kind of effect. And so I do think you're right. It is this balancing of creating, facilitating the peer connections while also being strategic about integrating them into the life of the church, building relationships with others. Um, um, and that is a trick. I mean, that... That's why young adult ministry is so hard because that is a tricky proposition. Um, well, and I think that's the importance of the one-on-one conversation and relationship and invitation is that it's it's not a program we create and then mass recruit people to do things within our church body. And I think that's part of it too. Is oh, here's the return on investment. We're going to get more volunteers in the children's ministry or behind the scenes for you know worship and arts production. Uh, or at our volunteer, you know, rake the neighbor's yard day. Um, just ask the young adults to do it, kind of like people default to with the uh, youth ministry sometimes. Um, but it's that finding out what's that heart cry and desire for the young adult that's in, in the midst and then networking those, um, those young adults together. The young adults are the program. It's not a program for young adults. The relationships with the young adults in this That's day, good. in this season, are the young adult program for our church today. 
and it's going to change. Yeah, that probably, I keep coming back to that's the biggest takeaway for me with the whole book. If you look at the book as a whole, sustainable young adult ministry is, is to not think so much about ministry for young adults, but ministry with young adults. And so helping, you know, if you're doing ministry with and alongside of young adults, it's naturally going to have this feel of, oh, here's, here's some times and places and ways in which young adults are hanging out together. But it's also going to have this feel of, you know, we're doing ministry, we're engaged in the life of the church and not just having our little, you know, 20 something club. I mean, you gave a great parting thought there, yeah, but Jeremy, do you want to give any, any concluding, any concluding thoughts? I think, um, yeah, I think both for this conversation and continuing, uh, what, what you just said, Chris was right. Like we need to be focused with over four, we need to be focused on engagement yeah. over attendance. I like it. The engagement piece is a real takeaway for me today from the conversation of just being reminded of that and and what what are the opportunities there. Um, yeah. So you guys ready for the outro? This is, we wrote this pre-corona, but it applies so well. <laughs> we actually do have show notes, people. Hey, hey. The people need to know. You guys ready? This is the blessing that we leave on everyone in in the name of Christ and relational, sustainable young adult. You will write relational, sustainable young adult ministry. Okay, then it won't be copyright infringement. Are you guys ready? Yep. And so, until next time, fail forward, be present, and be teachable. Be flexible. And try something new. See, that works in Corona. I just love it. <laughs> All right, guys. Good, good talking with you. Thanks. Yep. So, yeah. See ya. Yeah. So let's um, continue our, our conversation with this. So the first one is wait until they're ready. What do we, uh, what stuck, stuck out to you guys uh, from, from this chapter um, and as it relates to your own, our own experiences in young adult ministry. Yeah, I'm just looking over the different things I highlighted, my quotes, and, you know, a lot of it's just around um, older leadership, not willing to either develop younger leadership or, or, or like the, the chapter title says, waiting, waiting till they're ready. Um, and that there's not a shortage of young adults that want to lead. There's a shortage of older adults that are willing to allow young adults to lead or equip them, equip them to lead. And I think one of the local examples for me in, in this is we didn't have any young adults that were stepping forward saying, we really need a young adult ministry. The question usually came up when somebody came in the front door and asked if there was a young adult ministry. I didn't have any young adults come to me saying, um, can I please start up a young adult ministry? Um, it was, it was older leaders in the church, like older leaders, like I was going to say like myself, um, I guess. Yeah. Okay. I'll let it slide for me. Um, they were going, what are we doing with our young adults and what can we do and what's sustainable? Um, and then going to a few young adults and asking them, what, you know, what do you think about this? And would you be a part of the connection point on, um, a connect on Sunday mornings and then just starting it up and then trying it for a year and then working with older young adults. I think specifically with the older young adults is where the, the leadership aspect comes in for development. Um, and I, one of the ones that I consider to be a leader, she might even be listening right now, Cassie, 
um, when I asked her just point blank, do you want to lead something? She's like, I have no interest in leading something. I, I need something to be a part of. Um, I've got so much going on. She's, you know, she's working in clinicals and, and, and in the medical fields. Um, she texted me this morning and asked, um, uh, if she could share the zoom link online, uh, for the young adult connect time. I was like, we can't do that. You can share that's happening, but then they need to get the private details. And we just want anybody to zoom bomb because our, you know, young adult connect time is so popular. No one showed up this morning besides me, but that's fine. Um, but Cassie had just ended her shift and she worked all night and she was going to bed and she's going to watch her church service later. She told me, she told me that she loves doing that and the connectivity of that. Um, Cassie is one of our young adult leaders. But it's not because she came to me and said, I want to be a young adult leader. It's because I, I recognized her as a leader, asked her if she wanted to outright lead. And she's like, no, I'm not interested. And this is what I did. I went, okay, I'm just going to have her be a leader, but not call her a leader or tell her she's a leader. But I'm going to ask her advice on everything that we do all along the way as we gather people along. And so that's kind of been my approach. of. Um, I've been asked the question over the last few years on different ideas I've had for young adults. Do young adults want that? Are young adults looking for that? And I think it's a really good question. But I think if I wait for young adults to ask that question, we won't have started anything. We've just been waiting around. Um, and I think they're, again, waiting for an advocate. I think they're, they're, they may not even be waiting for anything. They're just glad that somebody asked and are willing to participate in something. And in that, they exhibit leadership. And I'm going to stop there for now. I would say there's two kinds of waiting that happens, and some of it is self-imposed, kind of as you were describing um, with Cassie. Um, you know, sometimes somebody not really wanting a leadership role or they just want to be a part of something. At least that's their perception so far. But then the other thing is, you know, in the church, and I know when I tried to do young adult ministry in a kind of official capacity at the church I'm at now, um, I was hesitant to put young adults like in complete control of say the worship, the worship band or, you know, teaching times or some of the official kind of things we were doing, the programming, like leading a class. Um, like it started a, uh, a Sunday school class for young couples basically. And looking back, I was just, and I think my thought was, yeah, I want to apprentice some young leaders um, but I just never did. And I think unless you have an intentional process to really apprentice young adults into ministry in a good, healthy way, it tends to just not happen. The, the older, the old guard, whatever, of the church or people who, um, whatever we perceive as having been sufficiently trained, we just kind of allow them to keep doing, you know, things. But there's a different... I think there's a different conversation here if you're talking about just within the context of the young adult ministry or if you're talking about the life of the church. Are we waiting um, until young adults are ready? Are we not giving them a chance? And I think in the chapter, and I'll wrap up here, I just think the point they make is we're basically either asking too little of young adults or kind of expecting too much. Sometimes we expect a young adult to come in and do ministry at the same level that some of us would who have been to seminary and blah, blah, blah. Um, and so we expect too much. Um, but then on the other hand, we ask too little. And some young adults don't step up to 
some of the things we'd like for them to step up to because we're we may not even be asking enough of them. It's not significant enough of a role for them to care um, much about it. So to me, those are some of the, a little bit of the, the reasons that this, this is a mistake, basically waiting till young adults are good and ready, you know, to be developed leaders. Yeah. I think there's a difference um, in, in between delegating responsibility and delegating tasks and too often for young adults we can say hey do this task uh and do this and um still kind of micromanage and that i think talks about that dichotomy that you mentioned where it's like either too much or too little where it's like we're gonna ask you to do these little tasks um and micromanage you to a point where if you succeed it won't feel like you actually succeeded um but if you fail hey you were the one doing it so it's it's your responsibility um, and you get to, you get to own that, um, where, uh, I mean, it, it does, t- and it, it's addressed in the book. And I know we've seen like, it's just, um, handing over, um, the keys to something, um, regardless of age, but especially for, for younger adults who are still working up the, the resume as it were of, um, experience to be able to hand that to somebody and say, Hey, run with this, um, is does take a, a degree of trust and, um, a willingness to be able to have uh, bumps in the in the road and make failures as you go, knowing that it's from that that you can iterate and begin to to change and grow uh, within a ministry and with the church. I think one of the things that I've um, seen both in my own local church setting and in others that's been really um, inspiring for me is seeing how uh, very often when you're working together towards some mission and some uh, mission work, that that is when people across age groups can come together and work in a, in a singular direction. And we have the unique opportunity right now where um, most of what we're doing is uh, the quote unquote uh, work of mission because um, most of our gathering stuff isn't happening. And so I know for our church, some of the compassionate ministry work that we're doing is being um, facilitated and participated in by people across uh, generations because it's important work and it's stuff that everyone can get bought into. And so one of the things that I hope we can continue as we continue to move past lockdown and moving towards um, life, whatever the new normal is, is that we can continue to find ways to engage in mission across generations. Well, do we have more we want to talk about in this chapter or are you ready to move to the next one? I was just looking at an article. I can't remember how I got to this article, but it was five surprising characteristics of churches that are actually reaching the next generation. And one of the points they make in there is is kind of about, like one point is passion over polish. Um, and I think these really connect with young adults, um, that they want to see passion over just fancy high-tech, great lights, blah, blah, blah kind of stuff. Um, But the other one I was thinking right there is the mission over money. So uh, valuing mission over um, money or, you know, in some churches, there's just always talk about budgets or giving or, oh, we've got to have this, we've got to have that. Um, And so the idea of of money following mission... um, and that just resonated for some reason with what Jeremy was just saying. Um, 
Young adults are a long-term investment. We talked about that last episode some, but that's that's the way that I see. I think I think that's the selling point to people where they fall in the continuum more towards the money side of the money mission continuum. You need we need both, and they merge someplace in the middle. Um, this is a long-term investment we're making. So how do, how how can we best invest into that? Yeah, and to me, one of the the over arching takeaways, I guess, from this chapter would be that if if we're keeping in mind that we're not trying to just create a young adult program, but we're trying to create an environment in which young adults are um, developed and valued and engaged, um, that the key, the key mistake here is just waiting, not not giving up some space within leadership environments in our churches uh, for young adults because we don't think they're ready for it. Um, but it does take it does take extra effort and engagement to help apprentice and develop a young leader. So we have to be committed to that and not just you know throw it at them, let them you know fail or flop around a little bit and this uh, see, I guess you weren't ready for that, were you, huh? Yeah, so okay, here's here's a couple quotes that I'd highlighted. We have the opportunity to cultivate reliability and leadership among young adults. Instead, most churches bounce erratically between expecting perfection and expecting nothing at all. Well, that's where I got it. And that's <laughs> basically what what you just said and that's uh, and I think that's where I see Oh, well, it's good. You just put it in your own words, which is better than me just reading it out of the book. But that's that's what I've seen in the in the spaces in between where we've had really reliable young adult leadership that was really focused on a program, but it didn't have the leadership development aspect. And then there just wasn't anything for years at our church for young adults that was organized in some way. I think that shift now is more towards how did we develop those young these young leaders. And as I've been hearing you guys talk, I've been also wondering too, I think I come at this more from a, I'm not mentoring someone who's becoming a pastor into a role. I'm, I'm working with people that are working in all kinds of different, um, they're in, they're in school, they're in all kinds of different sectors of, of business and things that they want to do with their future. But being a part of the church and being a part of the mission in their, a part of their church is a, is a big deal to them. They want to connect with people their age as a part of that, not exclusively. And so um, I don't know what you guys think about that, but as I, I, I was just realizing in this conversation, um, I'm thinking about the Cassies that are becoming a nurse and what is her role for this season in her life in, in leadership among young adults at our church and a participant in that. I'm not thinking about Cassie becoming a young adult pastor and then becoming a lead pastor of her church down the road. And there's, I think there are different approaches to how people that are vocationally called to ministry, we develop them as leaders and, and people that are going to be part of the church all their lives and how we develop them as, and one's not better than the other. It's just, there's different focus conversation and, and intentionality in, in the development cultivation of those relationships. Does that make any connection points with you guys what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, whenever I've referred to leadership development 
around this chapter and this topic. Um, I'm completely not think. Um, how should I say this? I'm totally thinking of, you know, just normal young adults integrating faith in life, not someone preparing for, you yeah. know, some like professional vocational ministry calling. Um, right. They could right. be. Exactly. But not necessarily. Yeah. Um, so I think going into this last chapter, the mistake of giving up too soon, I think especially if you kind of cumulatively think of the other mistakes, um, you know, learning about young adults rather than building relationships with the young adults, that was the first mistake, just like creating the perfect young adult worship service, thinking that's the right solution, uh, thinking the youth pastor will do it, um, building a program first. And then waiting on young adults to be ready. Those are the mistakes that have all brought us to this chapter, giving up too soon. I think basically this chapter is all about saying you got to be kind of have this long obedience in the same direction mentality and not just, oh, we need the silver bullet to to create the perfect young adult ministry. So this giving up too soon, I think it can happen as a result of any of these mistakes or some people, even with what Kenny mentioned earlier about, you know, you try to do something with young adults and when you have one or two weeks in a row where nobody shows up, you just kind of like, Oh, well that didn't work. Forget it. Um, that's the way in which a lot of people give up too soon. I think with, with young adults. Yeah. But what else did you guys glean from this uh, this mistake, this chapter? Yeah, I think um, talking about how um, investing in young adult ministry is something you need to see as a long-term investment. Um, I think two things that come to mind um, related to this final chapter um, on mistake number six um, of giving up too soon, but also, as you said, across the whole thing, Chris, um, across all these mistakes, is that it's not a a smart decision. It's not a wise decision to make that investment for the long term because solely because it means there'll be people in the church in 30, 40 years. It's um, in order for the church to continue to be relevant and meaningful and engaged in the mission of God today, we need people of all ages involved. And so it's not just like, a, oh, we're going to hook you now so that we have you for the long term. Um, it's we as the collective right of Christ cannot fully be who we are called to be today. If we don't fully reflect uh, all the daughters and sons of God uh, that uh, are a part of the world right now. And so um, as a part of that, being willing to be invested in the long term and make the mistakes now to be able to, to learn together. And one of the things that stood up from this chapter um, that I thought, I think summed it up well for me was, uh, you don't grow a tree by dipping the roots in the dirt once every few weeks. Saying that you just can't try different things and then stop. You can't. Um, I think, and that, in terms of discipleship and mentorship, it um, it applies uh, across the board. That um, it has to be. You have to be involved in something consistently. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, on a on a weekly basis, but also in the long term as well. Um, that it's it's something that you have to be able to be invested in in the long term and um, that it needs to be deep as well uh, when we're engaging young yeah. adults, when we're engaging anybody in in ministry within um, our, our Christian circles. 
I really resonated with the Winston Churchill quote at the very beginning, success is stumbling from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. I excel at that on my better days. I excel at this. And I, I think the posture that I want to take um, as, as a, a leader of young adults with young adults at my church and that I want to invite, and I hope, I think that we're inviting people to is um, not just trying something. And if it doesn't work, then let's just start all over again, or it didn't work and, and we'll just not do anything. Um, but say, we're going to do something with young adults and that's going to look different in different seasons. And we're going to invite young adults to be a part of that. And we're always going to do those things. And here's the values and here's the principles that we're going to focus on for that. And this ministry is going to look different in different seasons because it's got different people and, and the times are always changing. So instead of we're going to try something with young adults, and if it doesn't work, then I don't know what we're going to do. It's just, we're always going to be doing something with young adults. Uh, what is that going to look like? Who, who's going to be the point of the spear on that? Who are going to be the champions of it? And who are they going to rally to cultivate and develop in, in relationship? And instead of a giving up too soon, it's just, we're never going to give up. The rally cry is we're never going to give up. We're always going to be seeking out young adults. We're always going to be involving them in the life of the church. We're always going to be uh, failing and succeeding forward. And, and when we are committed to being the hands and feet of Christ in our local communities, in our city, our local context, engaging in God's mission where we are. That's when you make that commitment, it's not always like, Hey, we're always not that this is a bad thing, but it's not like we're always going to have a Sunday school class, but it's like, if we're always engaged in God's mission, that is going to, um, that is going to draw people in of all ages that are, that want to see the world made right and the broken healed and the stuff that is ugly made beautiful again. And, mm. and that holistic new creation work that we, that we believe in as Christians, that that is going to continue to draw people. in. I think one of the things that I love most from the end of this chapter was um, it was a quote from an interview um, that uh, a young adult shared, you know, I, so much of what takes place in my parents' church is just keeping the doors open. But that's plotting Christianity. It has no urgency about it. It's more concerned about the people in the church than those outside of it. And not that um, some children of God are not uh, more important than others. But if we are to be Christ-like in our daily lives, our our Christ is one who left the 99 to go find the one, um, not out of a, a lack of love, but because of so much love for those who had not yet um, found him as the shepherd. And so it... The, the unique thing that we have in this season of the church is that um, we don't just have to figure out ways for the church um, to be sent because for a lot of us, um, we are now in this in-between season where our facilities are closed or have been closed. And so uh, the church is is out. The church is outside of the building because we haven't been allowed to be inside the building. Um, and that will obviously mm -hmm. change in the weeks and months ahead. But I hope we don't, we don't lose that and that imagination for how can we continue to be uh, the body of Christ out in the creation of God. That's good. Good. So, hey, the secret is keep a church on mission and just continually be building relationships with young adults who happen to be in the church, of course, um, and those outside of the church. But I think that's what Kenny was kind of saying there. Like, it's not, it's not an option to, to at some point say, Oh, we're not going to do young adult ministry. Um, 
because it's a it's a demographic that is part of the church, even if it's a small part, um, and it's certainly a part of our lives. Um, so, and it's a moving target, but you can yeah. do it. We can do it. Yeah. Any other parting thoughts before we close it out? I just love the fact that that Kenny and I can verbally process these thoughts. And then the wise sage in Chris Bean will just be like, this is it. And I can explain it in six words. And I can explain what you said right and what you said wrong. And this is the wisdom we should draw from it. You're just naturally skilled at that, Chris. Uh, <laughs> we compliment each other. <laughs> I got to have more of this podcast in my life to build my self-esteem. Appreciate that. <laughs> well, you can listen to it over and over again once I get them all posted. <laughs> I, think the, I think the last thing that I want to highlight um, before we go, both for those um, who are watching this on Facebook Live, and then if you're listening to this after the fact um, on um, an audio podcast platform of your choosing, I want to make sure that we highlight again the the amazing offer that Chris provided for us with Numa Coffee here a little bit ago. Because in the oh, midst yes. of re- in the midst of recording this and in his just amazing awesomeness, uh, Chris has made that offer already live. So can you explain that to us again, Chris? Yeah, yeah. So we started, for those who don't know, Numa Coffee exists to help uh, us do campus ministry at the University of Cincinnati. Let's see if we can get a shot here. Numa Coffee. Choice. Uh, it's like a flag in the middle it of the Flags it? represent community, and Numa mm. means breath or air. So air animates a flag. Coffee animates people. The spirit animates kingdom people. Um, so yeah, Numa Coffee. Um, like it, that like is it. one of our ways to help support ministry to college students. And so uh, I'm one of I'm the main roaster for Numa Coffee, and I'm one of the co-owners. So I get to just make up deals like this. So discount code YAMCAST. Go to Numa.coffee or NumaCoffee.com, either one. Um, look at the coffee there. Pick out a coffee you like. Order it in the discount code option. Just throw in YAMCAST, and you'll get free shipping. Numa Coffee is a sponsor. (laughs) Cool. Well, until next time. Hey, keep failing forward. Be present. And be teachable. Hey, be flexible. And hey, we're always trying something new. That's right. Cheers. See you guys. See ya. So... We do want to get to talking to the book today. Um, we're, we're wrapping up Culture Corner here and kind of transitioning into sustainable young adult ministry, making it work, making it last. We did chapters six and seven. Look at the hard copy, people. I'm on the Kindle. Six and seven last time. Mistake number five, wait until they're ready. Mistake number six, give up too soon. And today we're talking about chapters eight and nine. Chapter eight is Beyond Fixing. And chapter nine is paradox number one, succeed by being willing to fail. Where shall we begin, friends? <sighs> well, I think it's a good segue that, you know, some of these, these four points in the Burlap, you know, article on millennials is, you know, the, the one about discipleship there. I think this really is important that um, the church really has to rethink what discipleship looks like. And it's not just transmission of information but it really has to be relational it has to be 
like this kind of the mentoring with reverse mentoring, like the relational. Um, and I think it fits this whole being willing to fail. Um, it, it just comes back, back to the whole thing of, of spending time with young adults instead of trying to do things for young adults. And I think discipleship has to be done in that way that I'm going to do discipleship, do life um, oriented towards Christ with a young adult, that that is the way we ought to think about discipleship and not, I need to transmit, you know, this information or make sure they believe these, these 10 things, you know, about what it is to be a Nazarene or a Christian or whatever. (laughs) Um, so anyway, I think, I think that is a good, um, connection between some stuff in that article and where we, where this chapter is going as it begins to discuss these uh, paradoxes and which turn into really strategies of this is how you build sustainable, lasting young adult ministry. Um, but I, th- I think if we're, we're still stuck at the program level where we're trying to come up with a perfect program, this, this chapter titled Beyond Fixing starts with this, this story about the French electrician that's stuck in the Moroccan desert. This story is inspiring to me. I just got to keep rereading it. Uh, the, the bottom line is asking the question of what if with what we're doing with young adults and following this electrician's example, he's asking himself two questions. Am I going to, am I going to, um, uh, do I have enough food? Am I going to starve? Can I? Yeah. Starve. What, what is it when you, when you don't have enough water, what do you call that? Wow. Dehydrate. My brain Sunday afternoon. Dehydrate. Am I going to, yeah. Die of, uh, am I going to die of thirst? Am I going to die of starvation? Uh, will I be able to fix the car? What does he do? He finally gets to a place where he goes, what if takes apart the car, reassembles it, turns it into a motorcycle and scoots out of the desert. How do I apply that to my church setting my ministry setting, uh, with with young adults and and again like you said with young adults not for young adults i'm not making desert scooters for young adults and trying to sell them on riding them um it's what do we have to work with instead of just creating an either or situation and this is something that i got from shane claiborne back in the day um but what's that third creative alternative that jesus always presents in the narrative of the gospels uh people expect him to do either this or that. And Jesus goes, nope, here's this other creative thing that we're going to do that's going to advance the kingdom of God. And so I want to be asking those what if questions in my context with young adults and the elements that I have to work with. Yeah. I think that's really good. I, I, I kind of stuck on the thought of an Etsy shop that's called like Wade Cycles, where it's just motorcycles made out of scrapped cars. Um, as you're as you're continuing to um, uh, adventure through uh, different gig economies. That's all I could 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 stick on. That you're selling those for for us mm. eco friendly uh, millennials and young people. Um, <laughs> so you're saying there's a market. Speaking for the entire <laughs> entire millennial generation, yes. Um, <laughs> As you should. I I think. Um, that, it's interesting. I think it's oh, go ahead, go ahead. the thing that stuck out to me was um, that that question of what if, uh, how do we we change the questions that that we're asking? How do we? Um, but I think even more importantly, as we seek to change our approaches, the, the title of this chapter is Beyond Fixing, and at least for me, um, it's kind of like a um, a, a two part uh, way of understanding it. That part of it is that what we have been doing, we can't just 
make it do what it's doing better. We can't just do a systems upgrade uh, or if it's a car, we can't just add better tires to it and expect it to work. So in some ways, what we've done is beyond fixing, not because necessarily something is broken down, though sometimes it has. Part of it is beyond fixing is because it's not accomplishing the fruit and the and the results that we want it to accomplish anymore. And I think this can be extrapolated across a lot of uh, what we were doing as a church, especially in the times that we find ourselves in now in 2020. Um, but that we don't just scrap everything that the church has done in the past. We um, There is some stuff that we, we build off of um, and move um, into new places. But I think part of it is that we, we, we use and retool what's been used in the past, the, the broken down car and to make it into a motorcycle that it's not. Um, and I think that's part of, I've seen it in a few different churches, ones that I've served in, ones that I've um, been a part of or observed where it's like, you want to do this new thing. And that means you just want to get rid of everything that we've done. And you're throwing out all all tradition and um, all of our history. Um, and some of the things we do, we do because we've learned lessons um, that it's the best way to do it. But sometimes those lessons are from a different time and they no longer apply. Um, but I think an important thing to remember as this chapter being um, the the altering point, um, you could maybe call it the the pivot point um, of the conversation um, in this <laughs> in this book. This takes us from identifying the problems to saying, how do we then uh, move forward, uh, taking the best of what we've done in the past, but doing stuff in new ways as we get into some of the rest of the book? A, a couple other things in this chapter um, that they recommended uh, tacking towards are taking the focus off of young adults to benefit young adults. And so one of those things is including um, inviting older adults into the mix and the relationship with, with young adults. I think that this is the secret weapon that every church has, no matter its size. Um, the, the, the U.S., the North American church is lamenting churches that are dying and have older congregations. But if some of those uh, older folks in the congregation would see themselves as a relational secret weapon that could grandparents some young adults and love on them, um, again, no matter their church size, that could that could really like weaponize discipleship for the kingdom uh, relationally and also resource it in a lot of ways. Um, and then um, the best ministry with young adults happens when we equip them for life beyond our church, even if they stay. It's a transient season of life, not just a demo. I mean, the demographic, but this you know eighteen to thirty ish transient. Plan for them to leave. Invest in them like they're going to leave, but don't not invest in them because you know they're going to leave. Surround them with those grandparents. Surround them with the champions. Surround them with the advocates. Love the way that your church is equipped to love on young adults and then listen to them about the ways that, that they want to be led. And then early in the chapter, it says this, and then follow them there. Let them lead and follow them there. Um, how do I do that? That's some of the questions that I'm asking myself is how do I get out of the way as a leader to allow young adults to lead me to where we need to be? Yeah, there's some good stuff inspiring here where it kind of makes me want to want to like, okay, who's, who's the next like young adult college student I can come alongside of. And I basically just need to be like encouraging them, whispering in their ear, you know, things that make them want to, 
make an impact in the world and like realize that God is calling them to be who they are and do something great that has kingdom impact and can really change the world and stuff like, how can you be whispering and, and nudging someone that direction and then kind of see where, where that takes them, where the spirit leads and just sort of kind of come along for the ride, but also play in a, a supportive mentoring coaching, you know, role through that process. Um, to me, that's, that's one of the shifts I'm trying to make is to quit coming at, you know, this age group as if I have some answers and they just need to listen to me and, and figure this out the way I did. Although one of the ways that I figured this out, I would say, and what you said about the relational secret weapon, you know, when I was a freshman at Anderson University back in uh, 1919 something, 1919, um, 1989, uh, freshman, Anderson University, this is as or before I'm feeling called into ministry and I ended up transferring to Mount Vernon to finish. But I was at Anderson University, chemistry and physics double major, but I was going to uh, the Nazarene Church, Anderson First Church, the Nazarene. Now, I didn't have a grandfather growing up. Um, one died before I was born. Another one died when I was five. So I never really knew any of my grandfathers. Um, but there was a guy in the church um, who I who was basically a grand a grandpa figure for me, and he took me fishing, fly fishing. I learned to fly fish with him. And we'd go about once a month, you know, during sort of fishing season. Uh, and I was only there a year. So, you know, three or four times we went fishing. But anyway, um, my, the best fishing experience of my life, I still think back to, you know, this guy who was like my adopted grandpa, you know, during my freshman year of college. So, yeah, I think there's amazing opportunities like that for, you know, people to invest. Again, we just have to come alongside even the, you know, the older uh, folks in the church, the different generations, we need to be whispering in their ears too. You know, stories are just, hey, you could do this. You know, we've got this young adult ministry class at my church that I'm a part of. It's really driven by one couple in the church who has kids about the same age as my kids. One's a college student, one's a high school student. Um, and they just kind of opened up their home and uh, provided a place for college-age young adults to start hanging out. And it's mainly been focused on the last two or three years of our high school grads really trying to invest in them and be more intentional with that over the next few years and see what kind of fruit that bears. But anyway, it's just a regular couple in our church. They both have jobs, but they're just willing to open their home. They love this age group because their kid is this age. Um, but, you know, it could be somebody older or whatever. Uh, but anyway, I think those are good um, good places to start for people who are just trying to think, you know, a lot of times people ask us like, okay, what, what do we do to start a young adult ministry or to do this or that? So. Jeremy, were you going to say something there? No, I just, um, what the two of you have just shared, I I think is really, (laughs) I think what the two of you shared, um, is really good and is, um, um, I think a good summation of some of the the best parts of this of this chapter, and I know even in um, some of our Facebook comments right now, um, the conversation of how do you best relate to and serve young adults, like our friend Carol um, asked on Facebook just a few minutes ago. Um, and I think what you said, um, I think you both said it in in different ways, in really good ways. The one that 
is succinct and stuck out in my head, uh, Kenny, is what you just said, is that um, for our churches, we need to love um, in the ways that we're equipped to love. Um, and that looks you know, different if you have abilities with fly fishing um, or if you have a passion for opening up your home um, and being able to have people come over for a meal and have community together. Um, and I think being willing to, to love in those ways and moving into the chapter nine of this book and the first paradox being, being willing, um, you succeed by being willing to fail that being willing to, to just attempt things, um, and try things out, um, and ask the question, what if, and be willing to try to find together the answers of what if we engaged in the mission of God together. Um, what that could look like. I know at our church, um, it's somewhat been put on pause because of uh, coronavirus, uh, but we actually, um, at the start of this year, um, were able to allocate some um, funds from a few members of our congregation to say, hey, we want to invest in what the Holy Spirit is saying um, and God's mission to our young people. And so it was an invitation of what we call the Imagine Project, where um, students, young adults um, from age, I think it was 18 to 25, um, could apply to um, request a grant for some type of community building, ministry, um, opportunity um, and bring together other members of our church to um, decide on on which projects we invest in, kind of like a like a startup uh, fund, but then also um, be able to do it together. Um, and so um, we had some really really creative ideas. Um, some of them from local students, some of them from those outside um, of our city that were, are coming here as students. Um, and unfortunately, we had to pause. Um, a lot of that, but it makes me really excited to see what what got even in during this time we've been receiving applications um, as students have been praying and discerning how they can engage in God's mission. And it gets me excited about how in the coming days we can then in different ways as a congregation participate with them leading into what God might be up to like in our that. church and in our city. I want to ask you more about that because I, I think that's something that could that. that could maybe have some potential here locally if young adults are interested in it. Um, and, and maybe even with our church district, our network of uh, churches. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to hit you up on that, Jeremy. Um, now we're, we're wrapping up here in the next couple of minutes. I just wanted to share uh, the, for me, that was kind of the defining quote of this chapter on paradoxes and failing forward with, uh, with young adult ministry, most churches would rather succeed at doing what doesn't work than risk failing at what might. Wow. Like, let's, let's fail forward. Um, I don't want to stay in my, my comfort zone and, and ruin stuff. Most churches would rather succeed at doing what doesn't work, but we give it our best shot than risk failing at, at what might work. Going into the unknown where the monsters are off the map. Um, here's, here's my two, let, let me tell you two things that I think are success navigating Corona, because I, some of the stuff here, I keep thinking about gathering with people and we're getting back. We're, we're, we're not getting back to, that's the wrong way to think and say that we're moving forward to meeting together again, uh, in person as a church. Uh, but it's the one undergrad that is getting together on his own with some friends online that are fellow believers and they're doing stuff together 
to me, that's success. It's not my success. It's the success of young adults, a part of our church body that are helping to foster community together. And so I'm, I'm reaching out to him, seeing how he's doing, how I can pray for him. Um, we may or may not have talked about him before in previous things regarding uh, shopping for clothing online. Um, I don't remember if those were recorded statements or not. And then another one with our older young adults and that, you know, the month, the monthly lunches that we were having that we can't do anymore. Uh, we, the, we could, we could virtually gather with them. And I want to ask them that question. If they want to do that, I've offered that to them. That hasn't come back to me as something that they want to facilitate I'm not going to force it on them. So I feel productive. Um, but they've been staying in touch with each other. They've been checking on each other. Uh, and then they're connected to other parts of our church. So I feel like if I've got those few kind of key relationships that I'm invested in, the one-on-ones of just how they're doing and everything, I don't need to gather a bunch of people to feel good about we have a young adult ministry virtually or in person. Um, I'm getting I'm getting a little bit frustrated with some of the things I'm hearing broadly about counting likes and engagement. And it feels like a migration of attractional church to the interweb, um, to the interwebs. And now what are we going to do with that? Um, yeah, there's a whole lot of different places to go there, but I, I, I don't want to succeed at the wrong things. I'd rather fail forward and invest in those one-on-one relationships like you guys were talking about. And one of the cautions I think is to, to redefine failure or be careful that we don't, we don't decide something fails right away because it didn't attract enough people or didn't really take off. I think one of like our podcast, for instance, (laughs) I think one of the things you really have to commit to with college and young adult ministry is just really consistent presence, persistence. Um, Now, not if you're doing, you know, stupid stuff or like, I, I don't, I don't mean if I, if I keep doing something that's really all about me needing to be uh, the great ministry provider, I'm not talking about that. But sometimes in young adult ministry, it's easy to try something and only three people show up and say, oh, that didn't work. Let's try something different next week. So we're not trying to say fail weekly. Um, <laughs> but I mean, give things a really, give things a really good go. Be consistent, be persistent uh, for a bit. But yeah, then I think be willing to shift gears. Um, um, yeah. But I think more of these, the failures the chapter's talking about is are just things that are going to, from a church standpoint, they're going to look like uh, poor investment of time or resources or this or that. I think that's the kind of failure perception they're talking about in in this in this chapter but well let me let me uh draw our perforated conversational line right there fellas and let me let me take us out with our little outro liturgy it's been so good connecting uh with you guys the conversation and anyone anybody that's joined us whether live here or once this gets posted and you join us in in the podcast we'd love for you to read along with us we'd really love for you to message us individually or on Instagram at Young Adult Ministry Podcast. I should know the name of our Instagram, Young Adult Ministry Podcast. It's got an underscore between the words. Um, but here we go. Until next time. Hey, keep failing forward. Be present. Be teachable. And be flexible. And as always, try something new.
See you guys. So yeah, as we as we continue in our um, conversation about sustainable young adult ministry, the book by Mark DeVries and Scott Pontier, um, we in our last episode talked through uh, chapters eight and nine, which is kind of the pivot um, from the first half of the book talking about different mistakes that you can make in young adult ministry to saying um, there are some paradoxes. Um, that you need to be able to embrace and deal with in order to succeed at young adult ministry. Succeed maybe being a loaded term, but how do you how do you engage in sustainable long term young adult ministry? And, and there's paradoxes uh, to that. So the first one we talked about last episode was that you succeed by being willing to fail. Um, and you can hear that uh, conversation by going back one episode and listening to that. Um, on whatever so good at this. I excel at failing. You enjoy uh, listening to podcasts on. And uh, today we're uh, moving into chapters 10 and 11, uh, which are two more paradoxes. And so the first one from chapter 10 is uh, focus on young adults by taking the focus off young adults. Were there things from this chapter, Kenny, that that stood out to you or that you wanted to to touch base on? Jeremy, you're really good at this. Thank you. (laughs) I listen to a lot of podcasts, so I just copy and paste it. Yeah, well, you you just did it verbally so so well. Uh, Yeah, uh, I'm really... I like books with pictures in them, and there's this really cool picture in this chapter of uh, a white blank with... um, uh, What are there? Nine dots on there? Yeah. And like, how do you connect these dots together by, by using four vertical lines? Maybe our listeners have seen this before, but the way that you do it is not by thinking inside the box or thinking outside the box. And so you draw the lines in a way that they extend beyond the dots. Um, and the whole point of that illustration within the chapter is focus on young adults by taking the focus off of young adults. And, and what, what they point to is um mission so what's the mission of your church and is it is it is it succinct and clear enough that young adults know how to engage with that and and this chapter makes me a little conflicted um because i i agree with them but the young adults i'm in community with are already engaged in so so many ways with the mission of our church they're looking for community they're looking to connect with other people that already they're already connected with people older than them in our church. Hmm. They're looking to connect with people that are their, their age. And so how do I apply taking the focus off of them, uh, how to focus on them by taking the focus off of them. And I, I, I don't know, I guess for me, it's, it's not, again, I keep, I've said this every single chapter, not trying to create something for them to do, but, but something to do with them, whether that's mission or just encouraging them and coming alongside them. It's encouraging what they're already doing, the missions they're already engaged with. Um, and do and you, it, it, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, do you think um, with you were talking about within your local church, um, do you think maybe is it that you've already been, your church has been able to move past that first step? Like you, you said that you have young adults that are involved in different places in the church. And so then the next step would be creating um, space for community. Does that, does that make sense? Like maybe you guys have already engaged this, this paradox to a degree that they're already involved in the mission of the church. I mean, I know you well enough to know that engaging young adults in mission 
is uh, something that's pretty close to your heartbeat. Um, and you do that. And one of the hardest things in the world to do, especially <laughs> if it's the mission that like that you're super interested. But young adults are going to engage in the mission that they're that they're passionate about. And they may have, they may be engaged in a mission, um, and it's very much a part of their relationship with Christ. But it's not necessarily a part of a ministry of my church, but they're part of our church community because they want to be a part of a worship community and, 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 and the mission of God through the church. But then how they're playing that out may not be a ministry of the church. It may be in their workaday world. It may be in their, it's not just categorized to the confines, both digitally and, and spatially of the church. Um, and so I, they're all at a different place. You know, it's, it's really, it's, it's really a specified target for how they're in, how they're engaged in because what I want to do is I want to take this. I'm going to go, Oh, here's the mission of our church. Now I need to get all young adults involved in that. And the default there is where are the holes that we need plugged because this is our mission that we're fulfilling. And so yeah. we'll use young adults to fulfill that. And, uh, if they don't see through that right away, uh, they will. Yeah. I think that's one of the, the challenges with this. They, they mention it. Uh, at one point in the chapter saying it's not just about doing programs for young adults, but working with them when our imaginations are captured by their God-sized dreams. So like what you said, it's not just like saying, hey, here's a need to our plan. And we're asking you to just get to to plug in where we have gaps. Um, and I think that's probably true across the board with volunteerism. But like when you just plug somebody in based off of the need, not necessarily based off of their passions and skill sets, um, sometimes that's necessary and sometimes that's fine. But when you get the people who take the most ownership in a, in a missional engagement is when it's in line with their passions and with their skill sets. Sometimes that'll align with needs. Um, sometimes that already exists. Sometimes it's reformatting or creating new ways of engaging that are still in line with the mission of God and the mission of the church, but it might be creating a new way to do that. And I feel like a lot of our missions are the the missions that we articulate as churches. People can fit into those in a lot of different ways. We might have some ideas of what that looks like and where, how we want to funnel people, but you know, left to the Holy spirit and in worship community, people tend to find the places that they can be engaged. And I feel like even when I issue a challenge of being, um, I might have talked about this last time too, but there, there's this, this guy that was a chaplain at a secular university that, that I, that I spoke with over the last year. And he really leaned into me hard. He's a, he's a, you know, 30 something millennial leaned into me hard on you have to challenge young adults to missions that are, that are hard. You have to, raise the bar of commitment level. And, and, um, I don't know after the years of recruiting young adults to raise their own funds and give up their summers or semesters. Um, very few are going to respond to that. That is raising the commitment level, uh, doing that in the local setting where people are looking for just genuine community. I feel like my job is, you know, our church's mission is point people to, to um, point people to Christ and invite them to be a part of his mission. That's super vague. I mean, it, you, in my specific life, that can look a lot of ways, but when it comes down to young adults, I want to, I want to get to know them and trust that Jesus is wooing them 
into his mission. Um, and that, and to trust that, that God is going to use whatever challenges, like I might be preaching this one thing and thinking this should be the outcome, but the Holy Spirit's actually moving in a way that this person's going to respond in, a, in obedience to them. And we count on that, right? We count on that as pastors, um, that, that, uh, this isn't just, I'm cooperating with the Holy Spirit. I'm working with the Holy Spirit. So in inviting young adults to mission, I don't want to be disappointed because they didn't do the exact thing that I thought that they should do, but that when they respond in obedience to the Holy Spirit, that, um, and, and take part in God's way bigger mission than, than maybe I'm looking at, that that's, that's success. That's, that's a win. That's, that's their discipleship that I can celebrate and come alongside. Yeah. I was uh, listening to an interview recently and someone was talking about calling and they were saying that believing our calling as Christians is to love the Lord, our God with all our heart, soul and mind and to love our neighbor. as Jeremy, (laughs) did you actually listen to the podcast link that I sent you or is this something else? You're just making me think that you No, I listened. uh, You were interviewed on one of your church's podcasts, uh, episode. Our only church's podcast, which is our youth ministry podcast, which they, is it great or what? It's really, really good. I, yeah, I, uh, when you sent it to me, I like, I, I was really impressed and you didn't have high expectations, did you? (laughs) Well, I wasn't sure. Cause I, yeah, you sent it to me. I wasn't sure what the context was of it. Um, but it was, uh, one, it reminded, reminded me of some of our conversations back when, um, I was, um, my wife and I and our family were outside the United States serving as missionaries, um, and wrestling with the idea of God's calling, but saying that like, if uh, one, that it's a really good uh, episode, um, we should include that in, in the show notes for people to be able to listen to. Cause I, I appreciate hearing your wisdom on that again. Um, but in thinking in context to this is that that is a part of, um, if we are, supporting and encouraging our young adults to be engaged um, in the work of God. If God's mission um, if, is at work so that people will love him, all of who they are, their holistic being and love their neighbor as their self, that's going to look differently. Um, and it may not look exactly how we expect it to look like as church leaders um, or as churches, but if we're all moving in that same direction, um, then there's a lot of, possibility of how we can get involved in that and be able to support young adults. And, and I think that kind of connects to the next paradox uh, here in the chapter, in chapter 11, talking about reaching young people by gathering more old people, bringing together multiple generations that are serving together. Like you said, doing, doing ministry with each other and not to one specific generation. There's a song from the the movie Selma that uh, Common, uh, the musician, uh, is a, is a, sings in and is a part of it. And they say, we need the, the wisdom of the elders and the young people's energy. And it's all too easy to, for one generation or group of people to throw out others and disregard them if they don't look or respond or act the way that they would expect them to, or they don't, if they don't, if others don't act like the way that I do, but reminded that in our differences, there is strength Mm -hmm. and beauty of the, the church. I think when we are reflecting being the bride of Christ, well, is that we are, our strength is through being together, even in the midst of our diversity. That doesn't, uh, that, 
that doesn't undercut being unified. It, it can strengthen us. Um, and I think that is a, an important point from this, this chapter that when we're engaging in ministry with young adults, well, we're bringing along people from multiple generations, one to, to provide wisdom and years of experience to those who are younger, but be able to know that bringing multiple viewpoints and skill sets to the table will allow us to go farther together than we would if we just compartmentalize everybody into different ministry areas. Yeah. Well, and I think it makes, it makes whatever form of ministry more sustainable when you have intergenerational, multiple different perspectives, uh, multiple gender, multiple ethnicity, just as much diversity as you can, you're, you're, you're strengthening which the foundation that you're building. So when I launched into young adult ministry at our church as a volunteer, that my, my, impulse was I need to get older. Uh, I need to get thirties, forties, fifties, and sixties, maybe seventies somehow involved with this. And so I'll start recruiting hosts that will we'll all rotate because this will be sustainable for us and hosting on a Sunday, this young adult gathering where they can just drop in, drop out and have some goodies and begin to build relationships. Um, and, and so, and I'm continually trying to recruit for that. It's been, it's COVID doesn't lend itself to that for me very well. Um, but I'm thinking when we do meet together, uh, again, that's, that's kind of where I'm going to pick it up and keep those conversations going. Let those be meeting places where young adults, maybe they don't want to meet in their apartment. Maybe they don't want to meet in their home or a restaurant or whatever, but they can meet in a group of 10 or less, you know, at, at a grandparent or aunt and uncle age-ish type people's house that they're not in charge. They're not leading the young adults. The young adults are coming for a game night. They're coming for a Bible study that they're leading. Um, they're, they're, uh, maybe they're just invited over for a meal or to do their laundry or something, but they've got a space and some people that they know in their, in their church that it's been like, yeah, we can just hang out with people. We'd love to do that. I think that's where some of the cool stuff is going to happen uh, relationally and, and connecting with just the everyday um, connectivity and that there's lots of natural ways that don't have to be forced like ministry. This has to be structured. It has to be programmatic um, for that to happen. Um, then, then the mentoring relationships can foster and self-select themselves instead of us, me trying to create a, a program to do that. Yeah. I think talking about how this is a time of disruption, that there are things that have been um, sped up, trends that were already happening. And one of those being that what young adults are looking more for from the church is not primarily content, but community. And we've talked about this on previous episodes uh, of the podcast because we can get content from anywhere, especially now that every church is streaming some kind of uh, material and sermons that while the content of the gospel of Jesus Christ is important, having that community to be able to, to work that out in discipleship and in friendship is an, a sweet spot that we can do that you can invite a lot of people into. I'm thinking about uh, a couple that I know that had uh, this time last year said, Hey, we have a really big backyard with a fire pit. If you want to bring over, young adults and be able to do 
some hangouts and some get togethers, like we'll, we'll help host it. Like they were providing the space to be able to, to nurture that community and something like that. I like, as we're talking about this, I'm thinking about, I should follow up with them because their backyard is really big and would be a perfect space to be able to have a socially distanced, you know, fire pit time together to be able to, to gather and have community while also not, you know, throwing safety completely out the window with everything. So, yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think there's, there's ways to navigate it. And again, I want to create a program and then try to get, see if the young adults want to do it. And then as I reach out to our young adults, I'm saying this is everyone's young adults or not my young adults either. I'm, they're my friends. Right. Yeah. I find out, Oh, they're already getting together. Like some of them, are, you know, there's some of the gyms in our area are open. There's a climbing gym and there's a couple of them that are getting together and they're going and they're working out together. There's some of them that are getting together to do outside activities or, um, that are watching the streaming service together. There's some that they're already doing that, but I want to connect them to, to those older, those older relationships. So it's a real challenge during this time for sure. Um, there's, there's near the end of this chapter, in, in chapter, is this chapter 10 or 11 or chapter 11, right? Yep. And this, uh, sorry, I'm scrolling back to the, the title succeed by, no, that's chapter nine. Sorry. Maybe I'm in the wrong chapter here. Uh, chapter 10, focus on young adults by taking the focus off young adults. That was the cool connect the dots. Chapter 11, reach young people by gathering more old people. Um, I think I was in the right chapter. This is painful to listen to somebody scroll through their. Yeah, it's here. Uh, it's it's the R and D department. Think of young adults as the as the research and development department. And then a little bit later on, it says, um, "Too often, the the church for young adults is like a first generation iPad. Like, you know, hmm. tried, but it really can't do what we were hoping that it, it was it was going to do. Um, and I think it's because I'm trying to preload the applications." Instead of saying, hey, what, what, what can you do with this? What would you like to do with this? Where do you want this? Where do you want this to go? Like, what, what are your dreams? What are your, they, they, um, they are the church of today and the church of the future. Very cliche, very true. Um, so what are they imagining that the church can be like today and imagining and hoping for the church to be in the future and to ask those research and development questions of young adults for me is relationship building to that teaches me. Um, but it also, I'm hoping engenders trust of, I'm not just doing it to, to try to get someplace, but because I genuinely care, I'm genuinely curious. I want to know what they think. Um, and I'm trying to connect them to other people, older generational folks that it will be mutually beneficial and experience and, and energy and new insights. Yeah, Jeremy. <laughs> so my thoughts. Did you have anything else? No, I think that was good. I was, um, I think the, um, that this is the R and D department, which means that to pull a few pieces together here, as we wrap up our time together, that if you approach it, like it's an R and D department, that it's not a failure. Um, if you, if something doesn't work because you're, uh, you're creating different iterations of it. Um, that, and, uh, something that they point out in this chapter 11 here is 
Uh, no project is a failure if it provides an avenue to work alongside young adults and support them. And as long as we're seeking the, the leading of the Holy Spirit and we're doing it together, the, what we're doing may not always work the way that we expect. But if we're seeking Christ and what Christ is doing in the world and engaging in that, like we're moving in the right direction and we'll continue to be updating that either because it doesn't work the first time we try it or... Uh, like a first-generation iPad, it worked at one point, but no longer runs at the same speed, especially if Apple tries to slow everything down and move a new one. And so the, the changes in the world... The church never does that, though. The church <laughs> never does that. But the world is accelerating at, at speeds uh, that are bringing us into a... Now, take the analogy farther, into a 5G uh, type of world. And we're gonna, in some ways, we've got to catch up. And so being able to engage this as an R&D approach. And that requires bringing in people from across generations and focusing on the mission of God and doing it together, I think is is maybe a good place for us to, to wrap up this conversation for this episode as we continue to, to seek, especially during this time of COVID, how to be involved in sustainable young adult ministry. So let's take this out with our parting blessing. We'll just alternate here. Yeah. So until next time, fail forward, be present, be teachable, be flexible, and try something new. Awesome. Thanks, Jeremy. See ya. (laughs) See you, bro. Dude, I totally derailed us from going to the chapter. No, no, no. I think, I think that was, that was, that was perfect. Cause one of the things that I, I think connects to, to chapter 12 here. Um, is this analogy of the dance floor. Uh, So for those of you who are uh, reading along through this book, Sustainable Young Adult Ministry, Making It Work, Making It Last, the title for chapter four, which is, or sorry, chapter 12, the fourth paradox is reach one young adult at a time through a system to reach them all. And we can talk more about that in a second, but one of the analogies they use at the beginning is a a dance floor that because it... um, is messed up and has some holes in it that dancers keep on getting hurt and um, having to leave the floor and that they're being blamed for the, their own injuries instead of anyone tending to the dance floor. And I think one of the, in the midst of all the craziness of figuring out what life as a Christian body, as the church looks like during this time of COVID, that it gives us time to step back and, gives us the opportunity to simplify and to attend to the whole dance floor. Not that there's necessarily uh, tons of holes and broken wood in everything that we do as a church, but it gives us the time. I, I know we found within our local church, it's given us the time to, to slow down on all the things that we're doing. And as we're reopening and doing new things of saying, okay, like, why do we do it this way? And in some cases, it's like, well, we can't, now we can't do it like that way now, at least not for a few months, or maybe we can do something different, like gives us the opportunities to kind of draw back and look at everything that we have in place. And hopefully if we do it well and have the opportunity to be faithful, that we can across the whole board as the church, be able to, to take some steps forward and specifically with young adult ministry, be able to say like, what, can we imagine what God might be up to, to engaging young adults through our church in this season in ways that might not have previously 
been the case or that we might not have previously been thinking, like I wouldn't have been thinking about how to use Marco Polo to connect with anyone and students ever. Like, yeah. <laughs> if it wasn't for this. Parents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. This chapter, I would say part of, I feel a little bit Jekyll and Hyde-ish sometimes hmm. in because I can see both sides of, you, you know, like wanting there to be, you know, well, shouldn't ministry be as simple as, oh man, just loving young adults. Let's just do something. Let's just, you know, have this thing with food and, you know, music cater to them or whatever, you know, almost like, hey, if we just, you know, love them and want to hang out with them, you know, that's all it's going to take to do young adult ministry. I think this chapter you know, definitely pushes back on that, that, that young adult ministry to be sustainable and successful, fruitful for the long haul really needs a lot of thoughtful, intentional, um, you know, process to it. But, the, but then there is a part of me that pushes back to say like, oh man, he just listed like 15 different systems that need to be in place, you know, before, right. you know, this can happen. So that, that was also a little bit overwhelming where it feels like, oh, good grief. No wonder some people, you know, who feel called to do something in ministry um, or, hey, I just want to reach out to this group or this or that. Um, they want to jump right in and, and start doing it. Um, so anyway, I think this chapter does raise some issues about how to go about it. And I get these kind of questions all the time, like, you know, pastors or youth pastors or some volunteer in a church is like, hey, we want to you know, start this young adult ministry and, you know, how do we do that? Um, part of me just wants to say it's as simple as, you know, inviting them over to your house and having a meal together and this and that. Well, of course, during this COVID pandemic kind of season, that's tricky. Yeah. Um, so anyway, th we really do have to kind of rethink some things. Um, and yeah, I think the chapter brings up some good stuff. You know, as you look over that it's not exhaustive, but it seems exhaustive list of systems that need to be in place, you know, for ministry. Some of those things we know from being in ministry and on staff at churches that they're just basic systems that have to be in, you know, communications, you know, how, how do people in the church get information, um, you know, or whatever, a volunteer kind of training system, or, I mean, there's lots of great stuff there. Some of them are not as difficult. Some of, a lot of them are in place already. And, in most churches they might need to be overhauled a little bit but um um but i don't know i just i as i read the chapter i kind of was back and forth wanting it to be more simple but also realizing that it has to be intentional and pretty thoughtful um to be sustainable so i i got beef with a couple things in this chapter i'm just gonna tell you what they are um one i don't disagree with all these different systems, the volunteer system, the visioning system, discipleship system, evangelism. But I have tended to operate in ministry from um, let's go for all those, but what's the lowest common denominator of systems? What are the, what are the most integral systems that we need? They're going to be our core systems that, that those can't fail. Like I need to make sure that those systems are in place. And, and I think that that's kind of the mode that I'm in with our local ministry of having 
some volunteers, having a schedule. Um, but my second, my, my second side of beef here is with the database system because we have a really robust database that, you know, they, they paid um, some money for. And um, I feel like every church staff I've been a part of, I come in when they're like, this database is broken. And so we're going to move to a new one. And then we spend lots of money on a new one and we get it. And then about five, six years later, we go, this one doesn't work very good. Like we didn't really even like it to begin with. And there's a better shinier one over here. So I don't care what the system is. It's kind of like if you have a purpose statement, it's probably going to have evangelism, discipleship, worship and service and something else in there. I don't know, but it's going to have those, you know, these three components. I have a database. I communicate with lots of young adults. Tell me if I'm wrong on this. They will gladly give their email because they will not check it. I have very few cell phone numbers, even though as we handed them the card or, you know, gave them the digital option to fill out, they self deselect on the cell phone because they're like, that's, that's too, I don't want you texting me. Like if I, if I want to talk to you, like, then I'll make that happen. So I've had this push at different times where I felt this pressure to like get people cell phone numbers so we can add them into our database so that we can text them. And you know, it's the young adults that I text that are the ones that, that through the database that they're the ones that respond. I have yet to get an email response from a young adult and we have hundreds of young adults emails. Um, and so I still do it to be consistent and to follow the program and to use the database. Um, but the young adults that I'm around, um, and, and especially during quarantine, Corona, COVID stuff, they're just, they just want to be in person and, um, email, whatever text, maybe they might respond if I text them. Um, I thought Marco Polo would be a little bit more appealing. Um, I didn't realize it was an old person's thing, but I, I'm feeling more and more like it is. Um, so I don't know what, I have a database. I've got lots of emails. I have very fewer, you know, cell phone numbers. I cannot make them give me their cell phone number. But even the ones that are like dehabitating from social media say, call me or text me, but I don't have their number because they didn't give it to me. Now, what do I do? Yeah, I think it's a, an interesting point that uh, it's really easy to blame the uh, issues on a database when just about all databases work the same, it's, it's how we use them that actually- Human error. That, yeah. yeah. Either not keeping it updated or like you said, not being able to get uh, the information that's most useful. I know that like, yeah, we have a database. I send out a weekly email um, and I always include in it a big button at the bottom that says, I think I want to opt out of emails and uh, future cinnamon rolls or something. In, in a previous uh, lifetime, Ritu would make uh, cinnamon rolls a lot for for uh, young adults when we got together. So that, like, for me, it's like if you don't want to receive this email, like, totally opt out now. That allows me to be like, you get less email, and then I'm actually communicating to people who want to get this. But for me, talking about multiple platforms, the communication platform that's been the most useful is GroupMe, which is like WhatsApp. It's like yeah. Facebook Messenger. It's but it's, it's the one that's used here. Like, I don't know, I didn't have it before I got to Tennessee and it's not my favorite in terms of uh, the way stuff functions, but it's what I use 
I, I use it for like, I have two groups. There is a young adult one where uh, it was started to be able to let everybody know if anyone wanted to go up to lunch after Sunday services, where people were going to go to get lunch together, if people wanted to go together. And then I started one. And this is how I have a lot of students information to where I can message them. But a lot of them I don't within that app, I can't actually access their phone number, which is like is fine. I can, but I have a group where they've opted in to want to be a part of at least getting notifications about our small group on Thursday nights. And so there are some of them Well, they'll show up every Thursday night, they get all the like and people respond back and stuff share per requests. And then there are some that are on there and they may be coming to one thing a quarter or one thing a semester, but they know about it because of that, because it, it's, a, it's a messaging thing, it's not an email. Um, and by virtue of them getting added in by their friends, then I can, if I need to check in on them about something or if I wanna reach out to them, I can message them separately like in any other messaging app. And so yeah. that's how I, I have- like me. Um, that's the, for me, that's been the biggest uh, benefit uh, in terms of being able to communicate stuff. So if I send anything in an email, I take the one or two most important things and then I drop it into that chat as well and have a lot more students uh, and young adults respond to that than anything that I send over email. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting too that, you know, if I'm struggling to communicate with a student um, once I cross a certain bridge with them in terms of the relationship, um, you know, we hang out together or so, it just seems like there's always some kind of relational landmark that we get to and then is when they give me access, so to speak, to like texting or whatever. GroupMe has been, yeah, super good, super helpful. Um, Again, you always, depending on how big the group is or how it kind of came together, you always have, you know, sort of the 20 or 30% who ignore everything or don't want to get with the program and you download GroupMe or whatever. Um, but it's been fairly effective. I would say the most effective until I have a certain level of relationship and then texting seems to take over a little bit. Um, but I think, you know, I'll push back on the chapter as well, this whole systems approach in that I don't think any of these systems are gonna take the place of genuine community relationship kind of stuff. Agreed. And I think also something I'm concerned about with the college age group that I'm going to hang out with tonight is the person who's really leading that and I'm just playing a supportive role with them is pushing it really heavy on content really heavy on let's do this study, let's do this book. Um, and I think, especially with how easily accessible content and information is these days, um, that this is something the church is really gonna have to shift. Not that, not that doctrine and content and biblical, you know, Bible study stuff is not important, but if, if we don't get the relationship and the community piece, if we don't really nail that or make that a priority, I just think the other stuff, you know, so in this group that I'm helping to co-lead, it's going to be interesting because when I'm, you know, basically once a month, I'll be the one to facilitate the discussion, the dialogue. So on those nights, I'm going to drive it towards, I want this to be 75% relational 
and life sharing kind of stuff and maybe 25% content, you know, what, what's, what's the chapter say, or what, you know, what's the material about this week or whatever. Um, and it'll just be interesting to see if I can help shift the culture of the group to that relational, because I can tell some of these college age students um, in this group I'm a part of is mainly college age um, and not a whole lot of 25 and up kind of young adults, but it'll be interesting if, if we can see some momentum and see some community kind of stuff kind of grow a little bit. Um, but anyway, that's my pushback a little bit on this systems approach. I do like the idea of being intentional and having systems, being able to replicate, you know, create a culture that, you know, basically helps you reproduce, um, you know, your ministry vision and connections and things like that. But I just, none of it's going to substitute for, I think, real relational connection. Yeah. And I think that's for, for young adults, that's one of the main things that we as a, as local church leaders and the different ways that we do that and can bring something to the table that's unique, like in terms of content. Um, I, I think this is something you've said previously on the podcast, Chris, is like, you know, you can get content elsewhere, uh, but it's the relationships that not only do they really matter, but that it's the one unique thing that we can bring to the table in small group settings like that, that you can't, as we've learned over the last six months, you cannot um, replicate fully online um, in any kind of format. Like you can, it can substitute in some way, but it's uh, relationships are key. And I'd agree within this chapter, not that these systems are bad, but if they're, if they are prioritized over the relationships or if they're not used to support the relationship building that's going on, then like they're they at the point that they should be making. And I think the relationship thing is key as well to the, to the next chapter, which is paradox five, respond to lack of commitment by asking for more that in the that in order to invite young adults to be committed in deeper ways within our churches and within our ministries, like that comes out of relationships. Like, um, I mean, that, that works on like a, a, on a dating level that like, you don't want to jump into the deep end of commitment too quickly it can burn out real fast. And I think that's the same thing within pastoral ministry and church ministry life as well, that like it, you want to have that deeper level of commitment, but it has to be predicated on real relationships. I would say from my own experience, um, you know, with failing forward in young adult ministry, um, it's I think it's rarely a good idea to just try to engage young adults through a program or for the sake of their volunteer labor. Yeah. And oftentimes young adults are just seen as this lame, this magic, you know, resource of new volunteers to help run, you know, do the youth ministry. And I think college age and young adults can make great volunteers in, in a youth ministry um, but I think that's a pretty small percentage of the ones that are ready to do that and kind of able to do that. Um, but I just think, you know, this chapter, this paradox, I think I agree mostly with this. And I, I think the main takeaway for me is that we have got to give young adults 
leadership and voice and freedom to shape ministry and the culture of the church and what's happening. Um, and I just lost part of that thought, but um, I also read, is it Meet Generation Z by James Emery White? I just yeah. went, got through that recently. And there was a cool chat and he's a pastor, but he's also quite academic. He was the president of Gordon Theological, Gordon Conwell Seminary for a little while. It, there was a cool chapter where he kind of outlines their approach as a church and they are very, very much targeting young adults that they want young adults in leadership. And he had a great little section there where he kept, you know, when you're in a church and you run into, oh yeah, we want young adults to feel like they're part of things, have a voice, but yeah, we're still going to make all the decisions. We're still going to, you know, do what we want to do. And, and as he would engage people in the church who didn't want to basically give up control, you know, he kept over and over again saying, Hey, this is not about you. Um, and I think this is a very difficult conversation in the church as pastors and leaders, when you kind of have this pushback of older Christians or the Christians who want church to be about taking care of their needs, basically, uh, this being able to s constantly say this diplomatically in a way that people will receive it. But hey, this is, this is not about you, okay? This is about a new generation of leadership. This is about making sure that our churches aren't, you know, dying in 20 years um, because we've not allowed young adults to really engage and take ownership and stuff like that. So anyway, generally I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of this chapter, I think. Here's my two takeaway quotes on the same page, page 145. It's time to give up trying to assimilate the next generation. They want a role in shaping and creating an entirely new culture. Mm. And I, I'm guilty of that, trying to get people to be a part of what I'm doing instead of inviting them to be, I think on the next page or the page after it talks about being, to become co-creators together. You know, this is what God invites us to do um, in relationship with him is to, is to help co-create. He is the creator that invites us into that created, creative process. Um, and the title of the chapter, though, kind of sets me off a little bit. And maybe it's some of my own leadership baggage um, or maybe experience of thinking that I needed to make a really big ask from a young adult and then doing that scared them off because I didn't really read where they were at and where they were at was they don't want to lead a Bible study. They don't want to be in charge of the young adult program. They just want a place to not just, they, they have those things in other places. They want a place to connect in community. They want a place to connect with their peers. The, I mean, what Cassie said to me this week is we want you know, she's 24, 25. I want a place with fellow Christians that we can do Christ-centered fun things together. I've got Bible study. I've got intergeneration. I've got leadership stuff. I've got a full-time job that I'm exhausted from, but I'm going to make time to engage in, in genuine community. So I think it's really important that I don't turn making a big ask instead of asking for too little into a programmatic like ultimatum either you're doing big things or you're not a part of what we're doing. You know, um, I think young adults are going to make those moves as I trust, as the Holy spirit leads them. And I need to, I need to trust that the Holy spirit is, is going to do that and not try to be Holy spirit junior and, and make young adult into something that I think that they should be instead of just being, you know, this fellow junior and co-creator with Christ 
doesn't mean I can't speak into um, and say, wow, I see these, you know, I see these things in you, or have you ever thought about this? Um, but it really turns me off when somebody comes to me and, you know, tells me of all the things I really could be capable of if I applied myself. I think how you do it is, is really important too. And I, I want to hear that from somebody I have, well, I'm more open to hearing that than somebody I have a relationship with. Yeah, yeah. But if it's kind of the pastor I see once a week and not really connect to this young adult ministry and I've been coming and then they lay into me about how I need to be doing more, you know, I don't know. I, I'm probably taking it uh, a tangential direction that it didn't, it didn't intend. I just think that there's a continuum there of challenging young adults um, appropriately to relationally knowing where they are at and then being sensitive to how the spirit is already working. And it's not me. That's, that's like um, trying to initiate that, like God's already doing that in their lives. I get to be a part of it if I earn it. Yeah. It, it requires the relationship to know if the big ask is anything that would even be something that they would be interested in or that the Holy Spirit's um, been leaning into them on. Like when you, when we, do that well or when that's done well i feel like then uh, the rest of the church is trying to keep up with what the young adults are doing like uh, back at the beginning of march we had tornadoes come here through nashville and like the young adults and the college students like across the city responded to helping people in some amazing super generous over-the-top ways but we're doing anything and everything they could to help like and it was then, you know, the churches that were responding, like trying to, to keep up with the energy and the desire to truly be the hands and feet of Christ in a really like high need situation. And so mm -hmm. I, when we, yeah, that comes out of relationships. Um, a lot of that is contextual as well, but all these things that we're talking about, we keep on like, it's predicated on relationships. Systems only work um, if they're based on relationships, having a big ask only works if there are relationships, that's, I mean, that's what Jesus did, right? <laughs> like it was relationships. Like that's. Yeah. And then he leaned into it when the relationship was there. Yeah. That's the. Ex that's it, except for the rich young ruler, you know, that kept all the law. I read this this week and I thought, you know what? I, I th think I see this a different way now. The reason that, you know, I've kept all these things. Okay. If you want to be perfect, then go sell everything you own and, and give it to the poor. I think the reason that he walked away, and Jeremy, maybe you can identify that this is having, you know, in the process of moving. The reason he walked away and he was sad was because it's really hard work to do a yard sale. There's just so many things to tag. It's just like, it's not that he was unwilling. It's just that, wow, the process we have to go through to, to have the rummage sale, to get rid of the things that, that we don't need and to convert them into things that are, that are needable, you know? So I'll go deeply theological here. Uh, for, Please redeem what I just said. For a moment as we wrap up here. Yes. The work of sanctification is hard work. To allow Christ to, within our own lives, to take stuff away. For the, for the rich young ruler to give stuff up. And within the church, as a body, as the body of Christ, as sisters and brothers in Christ, to, to give up control and everything that we've always done because we've always done it to give new space for God to do what only God can do. Yeah. Yes. Amen. Parting thoughts, Chris, before we take it out. Yeah, I totally agree. The relationship piece, like, I think until you, like, until you spent time with Cassie and knew kind of what 
made her tick and what she was really passionate about you could make a big ask of her just thinking like oh here's a young adult who's really excited about being part of the group of the church or whatever and you basically just try to pair them up with something that's on your agenda mm. um, mm -hmm. but since you've spent time with her and you know kind of what's motivating her and what she's passionate about you know and i think that's the case with you know most of our relationships you know with college students and young adults it takes that kind of investment relationally to really know be able to speak you know be able to call them to to some specific things that they would actually respond to and and there is a a parallel i think to that in our in this process of becoming more and more transformed in the likeness of Christ is that we're entering deeper and deeper into this relationship. Well, that gives Christ access to more and more of us. Um, as we know Christ better, Christ knows us better, so to speak. Um, mm. He can really yeah. specifically, you know, call us to higher levels of commitment right where, um, right where we need it. You guys sound like pastors. Wow. I like it. Well, until next time. Hey, keep failing forward. Be present. Please, please be teachable. Hey, be flexible. And maybe even try something new. Cool. See you guys. Great conversation, guys. Chapter book time. Yeah, well, I think that's a, a perfect example of something that is from the first ch of the two chapters we're going to talk about today talking about like the focused communication rather than shotgun uh, communication. Do you that read our book, Sustainable Young Adult Ministry, Jeremy? Yeah, this one. Do, 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 That's do, the do. one. I don't know why I just did Sports Center sound effect. <laughs> I mean, it was a spot on sound effect, I know, but. I got a rush. Yeah, we've been, we've been looking uh, through this book, Sustainable Young Adult Ministry by Mark DeBreeze and Scott Pontier. And the first half of the book is look, looking at six mistakes that can be made in young adult ministry. So we've went through those in previous episodes of the Young Adult Ministry podcast. And then I've been working through six paradoxes as kind of like tools and uh, concepts that should be considered in young adult ministry. And so we're looking at, it's chapter 14, paradox chapter six, which four, is- 14 and 15 this week, right? Yes. yes. And let me just, yeah. let me add this, Jeremy. I'm taking- the previous episodes we've done and just grabbing the book discussion content and putting those in little like podcast podcast episode packages. So if somebody wanted to get the book or just wanted to listen to those things and grab some of that, they could. Um, so chapter 14, paradox six. Attract young adults to your church by sending them away. What? How do you do that? Yeah, this, this is a hard one. I was gonna say, Chris, you, you share your wisdom with us. <laughs> well, I yeah, th there's part of me as I was reading this chapter that just completely embraces the uh, frustration, uh, you know, of because a lot of times the way we do ministry and the way I did youth ministry for years, and then you try to translate that into college and young adult ministry, is kind of programmatic. It's kind of based on attendance, like it, you need people to show up for this to be successful kind of stuff. And so it's, you know, he really makes the point of saying, like, why do we keep gearing ministry towards this mythical uh, creature of like a young adult who stays put and plugs in and does um, that kind of 
kind of ministry. So uh, trying to go into kind of your planning around young adult ministry with this idea that, yeah, they're more mobile, they're transient, they might not be around for, you know, the next 10 years. Um, So fine, let's work with that. You know, let's leverage some of the some of the positives around that, you know, so anyway, um, and there's, you know, a little bit of a bullet list of some, some things we could talk about. Um, but I would say one that, that Kenny had just meant, you know, touched on was the communication thing. And I think, you know, I've, I've had times and seasons where I just think, or I hope by just blasting out emails or blasting out an announcement, um, from the platform or, you know, putting a slide up on a screen, you know, occasionally some of those ways in which we just communicate to the crowd just doesn't work. And so one-on-one, um, and several times throughout this book, I think he's really done a good job of focused on this thing that, um, if you want to be more effective in young adult ministry, you have to spend time with young adults and, and, and take that even one notch you know, further, so to speak, is you have to spend time with a young adult, you know. Um, So it's not just a group think or a group experience, but focusing on communicating to the one, you know, whether it's a text to an actual individual college student or young adult, engage them in conversation, uh, looking them in the eye, conversations face-to-face whenever that's possible. Uh, So this whole focus on -on one-on-one relational, uh, you know, think small, like don't, don't think about, you know, he makes the point about no more stadium events, but smaller cohort types of things. Uh, and again, this to me could be one of the benefits we'll look back on from the pandemic season is that it has forced the church to get a little bit away from big event style ministry to cohort, smaller group, intimate, um, you know, kind of settings. And then with the sending ministry idea, he, he says, think of it as a flowing ministry. So they're kind of flowing through and in relationship, which is, which is where young adults a lot, I mean, in the twenties, it's kind of where you're at. It happens other times in life too. Um, But it's creating space for young adults to flow through our churches in ways that are life giving for them and for us, instead of it seeing just as a, as a diminished value, the young adults are just going to be here for a little bit and then they're going to go do something else to see, to embrace that uh, as a kingdom imperative of sending. I really like that. I like that, that judo move there um, that, that is maybe, um, you know, non-intuitive of um, you're not going to be around for a while. So let's spend some time together because I'd like to get to know you a little bit and hear what God's doing in your life and just being, be an encouragement to you. Um, and then there was, there was another one in here where he talked about young adults being more likely to invite their friends to kind of a smaller grouping and a, and a one-off event rather than a weekly meeting that's been happening for years and years and years. I think of the senior adult Sunday school class that they've been meeting for 50 years on Sunday mornings at this time. And this is, this is how we do it and what we do. And who's going to be our teacher this week, pastor? Who are you going to have teach us? Because we, this is what we do, you know, and there's, there's positive things to that, but, it, but it, it's hard to break into a peer group that's super tight in, in, you know, and as it, and as I sat around with those older young adults um, at Chili's, you know, eating appetizers last, last Wednesday, which was great. Like this is, this is a great ministry for me. Um, I was just thinking, this is, we're having totally different conversations 
than I would with college age students and young adults that are in that college age that are working or trying to figure out what to do next. And so I need to break down the smaller conversations to contextualize, to hear where they're at and then what they're interested in to invest in that relationally while I'm, while I'm around them. Also in this chapter, I had, I had, oh, it's the next chapter, it's chapter 15. I, I have a deep insight for the next chapter when we're ready to go there. Well, let's get there in one minute. I, I'll just say this because I think you guys summed up some of the main points and applications of this chapter well. The six key shifts that he talks about are ones that I think were very pertinent and timely in 2019. But in the time of COVID, like these are almost all essential. As you said, Chris, that this like works, these shifts kind of work really well for a, pand a pandemic where it's, you know, small talking to small groups instead of large groups, focusing on an individual over a, a, a group, looking at the, the short term instead of the long term, shifting from brilliant messages to transfer transformational environments, that these are all different ways for us to engage in young adult ministry that might have been like unique and interesting several months ago, but now six months into this pandemic, it's kind of the, depending on where we live in the world and in the United States, kind of like what is essential. That doesn't make it necessarily like any more important. I think it's equally important. Like it worked then, it works now, it'll work at whatever point we get to post COVID that the, the small group, the focus, the, the relationship building rather than the event is, is what will continue to, to be important, which I think speaks to moving to, to chapter 15, one of the main points of that chapter, which is approaching ministry with young adults from an, a, a perspective of it being long obedience in the same direction. Uh, the chapter title of 15 is, I don't know, dot, 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 yet, practicing the long obedience. That uh, this is relationship-based and requires a willingness to, to be in it for the long haul. I, one of the, I'll, I'll say this, and then Kenny, I want to hear your deep wisdom, is I heard someone talking about the Great Commission recently, and they were saying how when, when Christ said to go and make disciples of all nations, he didn't stop there. He said, you know, teaching them everything that I've shown and taught you, that discipleship isn't just about an evangelism track and praying a well-worded prayer and making a disciple in that way. No, a disciple is somebody who picks up all of the traits of the one that they're following or the one that's being taught about to them. And that for a dis for those first disciples to go and make other disciples, you can't dispel everything that you've experienced from three years living and walking and ministering alongside Jesus in like one conversation. If you're making a disciple, it's, it's for the long haul. You gotta live it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Acts, Acts 17, Paul, Mars Hill, I got the right chapter. Is that right? I like Acts 16 too, but Acts 17. And he, you know, he points out the unknown God, but he, he 
we accept it as scripture, but there's these quotation marks in your Bible where Paul is quoting the poets of his day. And, and they, they are not a part of the canon of scripture, but they became a part of our canon once Paul said them. So it was, it was a revelation for me to realize that every time I've talked about a long obedience in the same direction, I thought I was quoting Eugene Peterson and it was actually Frederick Nietzsche. Um, apparently haven't read enough of, of Nietzsche to know that that's what I was doing, but I thought that was kind of cool, you know, um, and also very dismantling for me, but I got it back together again, but the whole long obedience, the same direction has so many applications in life and ministry. Uh, but with young adults, we have to have that. I have to have that, but it's also very seasonal. And I talked about that with our older young adults around the table last Wednesday of just, you guys, you're different places and you're doing different stuff and you're doing cool stuff. You're gonna do this for a while, but maybe you're gonna move on. Some of you are already planning to move on to someplace else. Um, but we want to have this time together and invest in each other while, while we have this time together. We can have a long obedience in the same direction while the faces and relationships and, and um, the people's obedience to God is, is changing, but they know that we're there. Um, and we can be a, we can be a constant in that and make sure that our churches that we've, I don't know, cut a groove, make blaze that trail that the, all the young adults that are part of your church, Chris, I can't help but think that all of the investment that you made as a young adult pastor back in the day has, that has to be part of the legacy of that, um, that they are young adults now that are part of that church are different young adults. I mean, it's long enough now that, I mean, those people might have kids now. We don't know, Chris. Um, but Grandkids. Because someone was doing young adult ministry then, there's the capacity and capability of young adult ministry happening now in new ways within our church bodies. I'm trying to think like that. Hmm. And I'm thanking these older young adults for paving the way and working this out together and, and thinking up things and being creative and finding out how we can help our church connect young adults to the body of Christ and to each other relationally to point each other to Christ. And, and, that they're leading, they're leading the way today for the young adults that are coming after them tomorrow and, and how significant that is. Yeah, we'd just like to thank all you former young adults for allowing us to make, you know, the first six chapters worth of mistakes that we learned about in sustainable so young adult grateful. ministry. Uh, yeah, we just owe you a huge debt of gratitude. Um, Some of these people I youth pastored, now they're coming back around for more. Yeah, I don't know what that says, but... I like it. Yeah. Um, hey, just to give some more Nietzsche love, I think sometimes, yeah, Nietzsche is very misunderstood and he's just equated as, you know, um, the impetus for Hitler's regime or, you know, God's dead. Atheism. Uh, just know. atheism. Yeah, yeah. But even his, even his phrase, you know, God's dead was basically his critique of uh, the current kind of christian culture that he observed but anyway Nietzsche's pretty fascinating so i i love that he gets credit here for uh this long obedience thing which yeah i first heard from eugene peterson but um um and i think this is good like individually as well as corporately so the long obedience thing i thought it was interesting that the author said when they when they work with the church to kind of guide them into you know creating a young adult ministry i mean it's like a five-year process a five-year horizon uh, and i think most people in churches just you know we're like hey we'll give this three or six months and if nothing happens you know 
I guess it's not going to work. But it takes um, a lot of college students five years to get through their university education. You got to plan for I the think super it's senior. A great, I think it's a great perspective to keep in mind, you know, as young adult ministry folks and as churches and leaders and stuff like that, that it does take a long, consistent um, process. Um, but I think one of the things we do to really help young adults as we send them and disciple them is to help them see the journey of faith is a long obedience in the same direction. Yeah. That there's not one event or experience or conversation or whatever that's going to seal the deal or equate to their spiritual success, but it is a long series of um, good conversations and community and relationships and um faith kind of crises that you navigate together with the Holy Spirit. I mean, life is this long journey, you know, of faith. And so, yeah, sometimes I feel like I need to help, help somebody see, like, they don't have to figure everything out with their career, their vocation, their faith, yeah. like today, like life is a process. There are some things that are urgent, um, but I think it's a healthy perspective uh, to get as soon as you can, um, this long obedience thing. So, yeah, I thought there was good stuff here. And, uh, and also they kind of reiterate our little, our little phrase in the intro, um, that faithful failing in the right direction almost always works. Um, and the next line is we call it dumb persistence. I got that in spades. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, are we ready to take this thing out, Jeremy, or were you adding some more comments? Some other. I just I wanted to I wanted to say one final thing, uh, not necessarily as a wrap up, but to to brag on the two of you. I think the two of you embody the importance of this chapter and of what you guys have been talking about really well. That where you are geographically and where you guys have served in ministry are proof that when you are willing to serve God. For the long term to be obedient and to do so in, like in the same direction hmm. that the effectiveness that comes from that not effectiveness necessarily by business world metrics but that the that the the fruit of the the ministry that you are each involved in and the lives that have been changed have not been solely because of the great people that you are but that because you've been willing to lay that at the throne of God and to serve in Boise, Idaho and Cincinnati, Ohio for the long term, even if that's looked maybe a little bit different in different ways over the years, like you guys inspire me and encourage me to want to be able to think in that long obedience mindset, not only in my faith journey with Christ, but also in ministry as well. So oh, Jeremy, thanks, just to encourage man. you guys as well. Chris, were you the youth pastor at Springdale's? I was not. You were the young adult pastor. College and young adult pastor, but, yeah. But I, I mean, we've talked about this, but I'm just, I'm just like putting it together as Jeremy's saying it. We're both involved in young adult ministry at churches where we were formerly both on staff. Yeah. Like at some level, it's okay to keep us around and, and here's something nobody, you know, well, you guys are—you guys have got a lot of stuff going on with with young adults. I feel like I've got so much to learn from you guys. I'm just grateful to be in the conversation with you. <laughs> so, well, that, I mean, that's an interesting observation. And again, yes, thank you, Jeremy, for kind words. Um, it has been interesting, you know, 
in my own life of going from 15-ish years of, of youth ministry to then 11 years now of college ministry of just needing to sometimes embrace a certain level of humility as you wrestle with what you know where you get your identity and and um you know where you see results um validation all those things you know um ministry again like the enneagram is a good way to um to kind of do some self-work um and figure out you know and sometimes it does take a while before you you learn some things about um ministry you also learn about how much you can do as a volunteer, like you don't have to be the, the, the man, so to speak, or to be, you know, whatever. Um, it is kind of fun to be a part of a church where you feel the freedom and the, uh, you know, the ability to, to volunteer and to contribute um, and that not necessarily be your, you know, your paycheck or your main thing or whatever. But yeah. Outro boys. Mm. Yeah. You ready for it? Let's get out of here. Here we go. Until next time. Hey, keep failing forward. Be present. Be teachable. And be flexible. And try something new. Sounds good. Let's do it. See you. We've been working over the last several episodes through the book, Sustainable Young Adult Ministry, Making It Work, Making It Last by Mark DeVries, DeVry, and Scott Pontier. And we are on the final chapter. And and as we um, wrap up this book and yet continue our conversation about young adult ministry, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. The last chapter is entitled, Failure Isn't an Option, It's a Certainty. Chris, do you wanna start us off sharing Anything that stood out to you from this chapter? Um, yeah, Chris, that'd be a great idea. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's back. Oh, man. Headphone um, fail. Sorry, guys. Yeah, I love that title, actually, the chapter title. And I thought, I need to say that more. You know, I'm going to find scenarios in which I can say that. Hey, failure is not an option. It's a certainty. Um, and to be okay with that. I... And this is actually backing up to chapter 15, but an another phrase, faithful failing in the right direction almost always works. I feel like that's, that goes a little bit with this, this final chapter as well. But um, I definitely feel like one of the things this, this book has done a good job of is emphasizing the, the need to, you know, be okay with trying things, um, and not necessarily, you know, giving up just when one or two things don't work. Because uh, to me, that's one of the biggest mistakes. That's one of the mistakes that he mentions earlier in the book that authors do. Um, and I know from my own experience, churches will try a few things. And when they don't work, just kind of give up. Um, and so I think churches need to, um, you know, also commit to the long haul. Again, this is chapter 15. Apparently, I, I have more thoughts from chapter 15 than 16, but uh, the long obedience in the same direction, that be committed to this long pursuit. Um, the idea that, you know, I think they talked about, you know, his 
consulting company or whatever, when they work with churches, they, you, they kind of have like a five-year window in mind. Um, I don't, in, in my experience, churches I've tried to either help do college young adult ministry or talk to about it, I don't think many of them have a five-year kind of plan in mind. They're kind of like, okay, let's, let's work on this for six months to a year and, and see what happens. Um, so again, I, I, I just like the, the emphasis on, you know, be committed to this for the long haul, be committed to this in a way that you're willing to fail anything. This is not from this book, but somewhere else in my life, I heard if anything's worth doing, it's worth failing at basically that sort of idea. Um, some people hate are, that kind of some of my takeaways. What do you got? K Wade? Well, it's just some people, they, they hear that like. Like if you're failing, then you didn't do it right, or you're not, you know, you're you're doing something, you're not trying hard enough, or whatever. And my experience is, um, there's a few things in life that go right, <laughs> but there's like, if you want to call it failure, there's a small inkling of failure um, in in all of life, in all segments of life, and in any given day. Like I could give you a list as long as my arm just from today probably if i wanted to look at my life as failures it started when my wife backed out of the driveway and it was dark and i was like why is that tire making that screechy sound like it's on a shiny floor and it's concrete to asphalt and i can hear and i was like she's got a flat it's on the other side of the car and i can't see it and i mean i was i was going for a bike ride and as it turns out there was a screw in that tire and i had to put the donut on and then we fl- we switched cars real quick and she was gone and then i had to figure out my day so you know um at, why did we drive over a screw now is that a f- failure thing no that's kind of kind of a different thing but then there's other things time management things today like i could look at so i like chapter 16 failure is an option it's a certainty i read that to my brother and he's like hey this is a this is a no fail mission and i was like oh I don't do no fail missions. Like I, I, I do the um, plan for success and contingency, like have that roll of duct tape, have those extra tube socks, be able to create a scrubber. Don't make it to the moon, but you get back alive to earth. Like let's make those oxygen choices. So every time I encounter a failure in life and particularly with young adult ministry, which I've got a couple of those from this last month and week, um, it's like, a, okay, we run into, we run into, uh, this didn't work, uh, inviting the young adults that don't go to Northwest Nazarene University and are on the other side of town and trying to get them to come to Chili's for free appetizers. It just turned into a meeting between me and the other 40-year-old lady that wants to help out with graduating seniors in high school and those that just their first year out of college. She has a passion for that. And so we ate queso and chips and talked about that for an hour with no young adults there. And I could see that as failure, which it kind of was, or I could see it as like, okay, this didn't work. What will work for them? How can we encourage them? It's not about me. And sometimes I think the failure thing is because I put all of the responsibility and onus on me instead of what's actually going to be helpful in the context. Yeah. And I think it's part of the uh, degrading the idea of failure as something that reflects poorly on us. I mean, you look at some of the most successful businesses, it's about failing fast and still committing to the overall mission. When you realize that it doesn't negate the importance of the mission, failure is, is iterations. It's experimentation of figuring out what does work. And that is a, is an ongoing process in any organization and in the mission of God. It's, 
change isn't fun, but it's, it's part of, as we seek to continue to be a part of God's mission in the world, the message, the central point of what God is doing in the world, his end goal doesn't change, but how, we, how it is uh, being lived out and how we engage in it does change. And that requires experimenting and failing and reiterating and, and figuring stuff out. I, we, here on our college campus, they moved to quarters to try to ensure that they could at least get some classes in before if there was any outbreak. So it was seven weeks. It was a sprint. It was exhausting for everyone involved on the campus. Students just said it felt like finals week every single week. They just wrapped that up. Normally, we would try to do big things to encourage them. I did like a, a year ago, I would have done a donut. I did a donut drop of like 200 donuts to the library. And, you know, can't really do that now. Uh, so we set up a tent at our church. I have the benefit of being on the campus, but separate property. We set up a tent and I had milk and cookies. I went to Chick-fil-A. They got a kick out of the guy that had ordered 100 cookies and white and chocolate milk, the little kids ones that you get in the kids meals. And I handed those out. We didn't have a big mass of people. That was partly intentional because of the, the rules of the campus. But I had some of the best conversations that I've had in months, <laughs> drinking chocolate milk and eating cookies with college students as we just did something goofy to tr like, and I, th I think that's also part of it, especially during this time. But I think this, I think this extrapolates beyond just this COVID season, being willing to change our metrics that it's not just about oh, numbers yeah. and it's not just about everything going well, but I think part of it is how we define failure. Like we didn't have a lot of students show up. You said, said the same thing with Chili's, but what I did figure out was like I learned what I can do better next time. I also learned that there's these smaller events allowed for me to have longer, longer and deeper conversations than I normally would if I was trying to run something big or throw some big event. You know that you need to pick a location closer to the college campus. Like it's, you, we're learning. What's the whole Thomas Edison thing? I didn't fail 999 times or whatever. Like I figured out all the ways not to make a light bulb. Yeah. And the dude's, the dude's workshop burned down too in the process. Yeah. So I think uh, it's redefining, it's redefining how we, what we think about in terms of, of, of failure. And I think one of the important things from the end of it is that it's, it's solved by walking that we continue in this journey mm. and we, we're wrapping up this book, but uh, our engagement, those who are listening to our podcast, watching online, continuing that journey in ministry. We're also continuing this podcast, which I think, Kenny, it'd be great for you to, to share about more in a minute. But before we get there, Chris, is there anything else that you wanted to share from the, and I know you started us off, but you've got, you've always got nuggets of wisdom. Um, is there anything else from the, the book? No, I love what you said about defining how we define failure. And I also, it just occurred to me, we, we often capitalize the word failure with the big F. And I think we just need to not do that. Don't, don't see failure as a capital F failure. It's just, That's it's good. just a step in the process. Um, and then the solvitur ambulando, that phrase, I mean, I've been hashtagging that since I, you know, went off on the trail and hashtag pray with your feet, hashtag solvitur ambulando, whatever. Um, and that I was introduced to that phrase. That's kind of a Camino phrase. So the Camino is a pilgrimage in Spain, the northern kind of route from France to Spain, to the ocean across the coast of Spain. It's a 500 mile, you know, ancient pilgrimage kind of thing. Um, 
but that phrase and that idea that it's solved by walking or that it's um you know it's in it's kind of like the old um successory posters you know that were the the destination is the journey um but the idea that that moving we're going to see things happen um, and not just kind of sitting around waiting for the perfect solution, you know, to come to mind in a moment of rational, um, you know, elation or, um, you know, something like that. So I think that's a, that's a great, that's a great kind of summation and a place to end with this book too, is just, you're not going to figure out young adult ministry unless you're engaged in it and you're building relationships and you're trying um, I love the idea of, you know, some of the points that were made, I think, again, in chapter 15 must be my favorite chapter was, you know, instead of trying to do the big events, like be, you know, do these smaller cohorts, these smaller, mm -hmm. instead of just always trying to blast 100 people with communication, um, realize the power of, of having one on one communication with somebody. So I just, and again, these are, I think are some, some benefits to the COVID, to the pandemic thing that we're relearning um, perhaps in church and ministry is that um, bigger is not always better. Yeah. So, so I, in, in this chapter talking about moving, there's, there's three sentences that really grabbed me. Every step of the work we're called to do with the next generation can't be mapped out. And then um, a little bit farther down on that page, we'll find the answer while we're moving. And I always live in the tension between um, like, does missiology shape theology or does theology shape missiology? And I think it's a mishmash of, the, of both, but we'll find the answer while we're moving, while we're going as the church, while we're practicing following Christ. And we do that in community. Um, it's kind of how I lean into that. And then as you build your young adult ministry, look for people with resilience, people with the ability to keep moving in the same direction, despite the obstacles, which, you know, my the Spartan within me gets excited when we start talking about obstacles, because I just want to, I, I have this little phrase that um, maybe I picked it up from someplace, but um, that where strength fails, technique prevails. So I may be exhausted when I get to that obstacle, and my muscles are like, I can't power through it. I can't, I can't just grab the rope and just do my arms and not use my legs. But if I know the leg technique to climb up that 16, 20 foot rope, I don't even really need to use my arms because of the technique. And so sometimes I think we keep trying to power through stuff instead of trying to adapt our technique to the context and situation. So the way that I'm applying that to our, you know, 18 to 23 year olds is I had coffee with a guy that's an aspiring comedian and with our group and he's not going to college any place right now. He's 21. He's not really working right now. Um, he's got some high COVID risk folks, part of his family. And he's kind of like, if I'm out there, do I expose them? And we're all in the same. Oh. We're going to try a little conversation. I'm not going to call it a podcast yet because we haven't done it yet, but I, you know, cause I need another podcast, but this is a phrase that he said to me that's really stuck with me. Um, he, he's like, you know, sometimes my, um, my, my electric brain meat just doesn't work right. It just misfires. I'm like, electric brain meat? What are you talking about? And, and so just coming out of the mental health kind of thing, like sometimes things don't work quite right up here and we need some help with that. But I thought, what's one thing that I could do knowing that these younger groupings of young adults aren't going to gather at Chili's? What's something that I could do with young adults that might benefit other young adults? So me and this guy in our group are going to try to do a conversation a couple times a month, do it live, 
and then share it with our young adult group. And he's hilarious. He just makes me laugh. We're just going to have a goofy conversation for 30 minutes or so and see if young adults engage with that and just work different things into it. So we're going to try that just because I like him and he wants to hang out with me kind of, I guess. Um, and Electric see if that's a benefit to our group. Electric Brainy. That sounds like some indie band. You should look it up on Anchor. <laughs> well, um, as we as we wrap up our time on this episode, uh, this is uh, the end of our journey with this book, uh, not the end of this podcast, though. Our next book, oh, perfect timing, Chris, for those of you watching. Hey, wait, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yeah. yet. <laughs> not done this yet. podcast is not done yet. Yeah. Subtitle, Reaching and Keeping Unchurched Emerging Adults by Beth Severson. And we'll be continuing this conversation, not only here, but bringing in some of our friends and co-laborers in Christ in young adult ministry. And that'll be a part of upcoming episodes. We're excited to be able to share that with you all. And as we continue to journey together, to, to fail forward in our, in our ministry work. We were together. already saying that. Yeah. <laughs> That's the outro. Are we doing the outro? Is that where you're segueing to, Jeremy? I think we should segue to, to the outro. Um, as we wrap up, thank you guys for watching. Those of you watching online, those of you who are listening to this episode, we appreciate you journeying with us as we journey together in seeking to be Christ-like and seeking to uh, invite others into uh, this relationship with Christ and to, to serve alongside young adults in the process. Thank you.